Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 224, Aspinall versus Tybura, also known as, I presume, UFC London. This is, of course, the second card in uh, the UK this year for the Ultimate Fighting Championship, but considering that the first one was a numbered pay-per-view, I expect this one will pick up the UFC London hashtag. Either way, I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com, with me back once again uh, and doesn't it feel good is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the Sherdog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing today? Uh, good. It's It's been a while since I uh, did a show. Uh, uh, who, who was off longer, me or Tom Aspinall? <laughs> <laughs> it feels like about the same, doesn't it? Uh, as uh, Keith alludes to, of course, Aspinall is stepping back into the cage almost exactly a year after his last appearance, which uh, was, of course, in the very same O2 arena in London, where uh, he fell victim to a grisly and unfortunate freak uh, knee injury just 15 seconds into his fight with Curtis Blades. That's at least temporarily derailed things for the then 29, now 30-year-old phenom, but uh, he's back in action atop a 15-fight card that does more than justice by uh, geographic appropriateness. 15 fights on this card, 12 of them have a British or Irish fighter against a non-British or Irish fighter, and none of them whatsoever have two Brits against each other. So... The people in the O2 arena will know exactly whom to root for. And uh, I, I don't want to spoil any specifics because I'll probably quiz you about a few of these going uh, as we go up the card. But of the 12 fights featuring an English, Scottish, or Irish fighter against a foreigner, exactly six of them, the local fighter is the favorite and six of them, the local fighter is the underdog. So it's not even like they just racked this thing up with squash matches uh, to service the crowd, basically. It's, it's it's pretty interesting. What's your overall temperature on this card? What's your level of anticipation? Yeah, I think it's a really good card. I, I think anytime we go to an arena now, instead of the Apex, is always always a, an improvement. Uh, I think you always add a little extra points anytime they go over to Europe, particularly England, Ireland, th those areas. They're just always rowdy, great cards. You, you, can, you can feel the energy in the arena through your TV. Uh, and then, I, I mean, it's a deep card. There's a lot of fun fights. There's a lot of ranked fighters on this card. The main event isn't the sexiest. You know, the return to Tom is good against a really tough guy in, in, in Tybara. Like, overall great. I'd, I'd probably give like an A-. minus. I think, I think it's a good card. I agree. Uh, A-, minus, if not an A. Again, by the standards of a, you know, free fight night card, this yeah. is about as good as it gets because even down at the bottom of the card, it's not like there are any pink slip derbies going on. There's not a, a single fight I can point to on this card where I'm like, yeah, whoever loses this one is probably getting cut by the UFC. Whereas last week, UFC <laughs> Vegas 77. Well, again, I, I made the argument on that preview that the first seven fights on the card, there's a good chance that seven fighters would be cut if they lost. Yeah. Here, there's nothing like that. Uh, it's an interesting thing. Uh, you've commented numerous times that uh, the UFC's reception in England in particular is just off the charts. Just we, we've gotten moments that would have been cool moments turned into immortal, like yeah. chill inducing moments by the crowd. And it's the, the UK has managed to do that 
it's leveled itself up in, into something different because a lot of the talk right now around the UFC is okay. They waited too long to go to Africa. They, you know, yeah. uh, they could have gone when they had multiple champs, arguably the two best fighters in the sport that had at least, you know, recent African ancestry. Yeah. And that's kind of crumbling. The, the UFC. Well, I don't know if it's too late uh, being that um, the, the top middleweight contender is African. Which is yeah. which is cool. I mean, uh, obviously, it's like trying to match him with the right person. You know, <laughs> like who would feel comfortable going to Africa? You know, <laughs> that's you guys. That's just a joke. <laughs> Don't at me. I'm just, just playing a joke. Uh, I, I, I understand mean, that Israel Adesanya is African. I'm just making a joke. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and the same thing could be said about Mexico, where the there was a. I mean, the UFC could have gone to Mexico at a time. You know, when they were like. And it, it's not looking quite the same anymore. No, that's not the case with the UK. Uh, there's one British champ in the UFC right now. He's not on this card, and nobody gives a damn. Yeah, and I don't think that's anything about Leon Edwards. It's just that if the if you give the UK fans anything to get up in arms about in a positive way, they will. What what other card this good could the UFC get away with putting Molly McCann as the co-headliner? Yeah. No. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, the only thing this card is missing is Patty. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, I know that that's not the UFC's fault on that. Or no. I mean, shit happens. But yeah, this yeah. is this is a good card. I mean, what Patty? What Patty? Probably weigh about two hundred and ten pounds right now. They could have found someone to fight him. <laughs> yeah, he could have fought Aspen all time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> there will be one Patty, uh, former UFC fighter Patty Houlihan. Uh, who will be coaching his protege Shauna Bannon in the second fight on the card? But that's not the Patty we want to we, we wanted, we wanted to see here. There yeah. you go. Uh, unless you've got any other general thoughts on the card, let's uh, jump right into these prelims. Uh, the, the only thing I will say: fifteen fights. That that might be the one day. Like that's that's a lot. Agreed. I mean, too much of a good thing, sure, but it's hard to say what would you trim because it's not like there are any junk fights on the card. No, no, no. But just 15 is 15 is a lot. That's that. When I was at the Ponderosa and I, I get that one extra chicken wing and then I'm thrown up in the parking lot. You know? <laughs> All right. <laughs> First up at UFC London, or as Keith would put it, that one last chicken wing at the Ponderosa, or that one first chicken wing at the Ponderosa, is a men's flyweight matchup between Jafel Filio and Daniel Beres. Filio, the 30-year-old Brazilian, is 14-3 and overall. He is 1-0, sorry, he is 0-1 since joining the UFC as a veteran of the sixth season of Dana White's Contender Series, as well as Shudo Brazil. He debuted, uh, well, in fact, in March at the UFC's first trip to the UK this year, that was UFC 286, where he had the tallest of tall orders taking on super prospect Mohamed Mokayev, acquitted himself fairly well uh, before getting tapped out late in the third round. But uh, nonetheless, he gets his second chance for a first win uh, in the UFC here, and uh, he will be facing Beres. 34-year-old Spaniard is 16-5 and five overall. Uh as I mentioned, this will be his UFC debut. He fought on the Contender Series back in 2021, dropping a split decision to Carlos Hernandez. And he did what you hope any prospect would do if they lose on the Contender Series. He went straight, 
went straight back to Mexico where he's been fighting out of, won four fights in 18 months and uh, and got his ticket to the big show anyway. Odds here, unique on this card. This one is a dead pick'em. Filio minus 115, Beres minus 115. Uh, Keith, I'm going to toss this one to you first, but <clears throat> you and I both said on the UFC 286 preview that Filio is a pretty solid prospect in his own right. You know, probably good enough to stick yeah. in the UFC at flyweight, but specifically what he's good at made him a miserable matchup against Mikhaev. Uh, what did you think of his performance there? And uh, who do you have in this fight? I think his performance, I mean, was spectacular. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Mikhaev I mean, hasn't fought again since then for a reason. <laughs> yeah, he tore up his knee. And, and I know there's a lot of controversy. A lot of people, you know, there's a moment where a lot of people thought Mikhaev tapped. You know, I, I, I don't be in the, the situation at that time. Um, but yeah, like he, he looked great. I mean, you'd got Mikhaev. Oh, I mean, you're talking about a guy that has top five potential, could even be a champion one day. And, you know, you're coming in fight, facing a guy like that and giving everything you can. I mean, it, it, it was a really hell of a performance for him. Uh, you, I'm assuming you want me to get into that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a flyaway fight, which is which is always fun. Uh, side note, I was looking up Ponderosa locations because uh, all my local Ponderosa is closed, probably because I ate them out. Um, uh, phrasing? The closest, yeah, the closest Ponderosa to me is in like seven hours away. Like, that is a shame. Uh, but uh, right now, like, pretty much the entire world, except for the Midwest, has no idea what the hell we're talking about. Um, but I was looking at it. It's like maybe 20, 25 Ponderosas left. There's like six of them in Michigan. What's what's up with Michigan's love for Ponderosa? Yeah. Uh, anyways, back to the, it is that's just just really weird that Michigan has so many Ponderosas. Um, uh, feel like he so on the feet he, he's a low output striker, but his boxing did look better in his last fight than I originally thought it was. He uses feints well. Uh, he tends to kind of lull and then explode with a combo. Uh, he mixes high. High and low attacks well, goes high, you know, to the head, follows up with a body shot. Uh, he throws some leg kicks, but a lot of times they're naked. Uh, so he and he's also open to leg kicks himself. Uh, he, you know, his striking is, is is plan B. He he wants to grapple. He wants to close the distance. He's a guy that he he'll, he's willing to grind in the clinch. Uh, he'll go for takedowns, but I wouldn't say he's a wrestler. Like he's not a strong wrestler, but uh, he gets some takedowns from the body lock. Uh, he also likes to get in, like like I said, get inside chest to chest, maybe hit try like hit like a slide vine, and has a pretty good back takes, um, backpack kind of situation. He is a serious submission threat. I mean, he's got eight wins, and, and we mentioned he he almost knee barred Makayev in his last fight, almost you know summed him. So obviously he's a big threat. Uh, Daniel Baez, and, and I apologize if I say his name wrong. Uh, I think he's a good addition to the UFC. He, he's got a lot of experience. He's already 34, which is usually what you get, you know, you get excited about a guy coming in at 34. But he's got 21 fights underneath his belt. Uh, had some amateur fights too. Solid boxer. He sets up his shots really well with feints. Nice stiff jab. He likes to work the body. He has plus power. He has seven KOs, uh, which is you know obviously rare at, at flyweight. Uh, well, regional scene KOs, a little more common than UFC, but still, like it's a nice, nice uh, thing to have. Uh, good calf kicks. He does make some defensive flaws. The biggest one is he avoids strikes, strikes by backing straight up. He has a submission. That he's got six subs, but though I, I, I finished when you're, you're doing tape study in 15 fights, uh, Byers, I, you know, I kind of like watch one fight real quick, just kind of have a little idea what, what he does. 
Uh, I didn't see enough as wrestling to really have a lot of confidence. It's tough because I wish I had more film time. I mean, you know, uh, over this uh, two year vacation I had, I I should have scheduled some, (laughs) some film time in there, but uh, I I think he's, you know, both guys, I mean, really that, Fiala is you know, kind of new to the UFC, too. So both guys, I think, are solid additions. I've been saying this has kind of been a theme lately about Flyweight. I just think they're really stacking up that that uh, roster. I'm going to leave Fiala because of what I saw against Makayev to be in a situation like that. I, I hate kind of going with a guy based off a loss, but he showed me enough. I'm going to go with him, getting maybe some takedowns, winning the grappling. I'm going to say he wins by decision. Yeah, I'm <clears> – <throat> I, I like the breakdown there. I was pleasantly surprised by Filio, and obviously there was there was controversy in in the wake of the you know the Mokaya fight. But you know, regardless of whether he tapped, didn't tap, should have been a technical submission, whatever you felt about it, he did not look like he made Mokaya look not like the minus nine hundred favorite that that he was going into that. Filio looked like he belonged, uh, maybe just a little bit of a step behind the, the whole time. That points to good things here against uh, Daniel Barras, a guy who is good everywhere. And I agree with you that I, I'm glad he's in the UFC and I'm slightly surprised he wasn't here sooner. I actually saw his last fight before the contender series live. He was at that combate Tito versus Alberto card down on the U S Mexico border that I drove all the way across Texas to take in. Uh, he looked good there. He was, he was on the main card of that one in between all the like Mexican pro wrestling stars and, and legit, uh, MMA fighters. But then he was gone for almost two years before his contender series appearance. He lost there a real close, uh, split decision to Carlos Hernandez, who has turned out to be a good flyweight in the UFC. Uh, just it's taken him longer to get here than I would have expected. And he's 34. And I mean, uh, obviously I don't say this with a hundred percent confidence considering that we just saw Tyson Nam fight uh, less than 24 hours ago, but generally speaking, pushing into your mid to late thirties is not friendly territory for a flyweight. So I I'm worried that his top gear is going to have slipped a little bit from uh, what I saw of him on, on the regionals. Whereas Filio is probably right in his prime right now. And I think at both of the respective best, he might just be a little bit of a better fighter anyway. Uh, certainly there, there shouldn't be any octagon jitters for Filio at this point. He has fought in this very same arena against a fighter who was a hometown darling and Filio was booed mercilessly. So all that's going to be shaken off. Uh, I expect he's going to take control of this fight. If he throws enough volume, he should give as good as he gets on the feet. And I do think he has a bit of an advantage on the ground. So I'm going to take Filio by decision here as well uh, in this pick and fight. Next up at UFC Fight Night 224 is a strawweight matchup between Bruna Brazil and the debuting Shauna Bannon. Brazil, the 29-year-old, well, Brazilian is 8-3-1 overall. She is 0-1 since joining the UFC out of the sixth season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, she iced Marnik Man with a highlight reel head kick last September on the Contender Series, then made her debut in April against Denise Gomez. That was at UFC on ESPN Holloway versus Allen, where uh, she got generally the worst of things on her way to getting knocked out in the second round. 
So she'll look to get her first UFC win. Uh, opposing her in that pursuit will be the debuting Bannon. 29-year-old from Dublin is a perfect 5-0 and as a professional mixed martial artist. Uh, she is coming to the UFC most recently out of Invicta. She fought former Atomweight champ Mina Grusander back in March at Invicta 52, taking a unanimous decision over her. Uh, here she makes her debut. There is a surprising amount of buzz about it, at least in the uh, UK and Irish combat sports media, at least compared to her straight accomplishments. She is a slight underdog in this fight. Brazil is out there around minus 125 or so. Bannon plus 105 uh, on the comeback. Keith, you mentioned during our intro that if there's any one thing to fault about this card, it's that it might be a little too much of a good thing. Just 15 fights is a lot to digest. I would love it if every you know, UFC card were, I don't know, between 10 and 13, 13 on, on the, the long side. Uh, and I sort of put out, well, what would you clip from this card? This is the fight on the card where I am. Okay. If there's any fight of the 15 on this card where neither fighter turns out to be UFC material in the end, it's this one. Uh, Bruno Brazil looks solid, but unspectacular and came to the UFC on some pretty flimsy background. She was on a long streak against pretty iffy competition in Shudo Brazil. She knocked out Marnik Mann, who just is one of the lower level women I've seen on the Contender Series uh, to make her way to the UFC. And she looked overmatched against Denise Gomez. So I think the jury is still very much out on whether she belongs in the UFC. And Shauna Bannon, I understand that the Irish MMA fan base is a certain way. Uh, and I understand that MMA media in general, fans in general, and the UFC in particular definitely have their radar up for the next Irish star. But all that aside, I don't see what the fuss is about Shauna Bannon, man. I, I watched all the available tape on her and I, I see somebody who is feasted on pretty low-level competition. That includes the ghost of Mina Grusander, who is a former Adam Waite and was on a losing streak already when they met. Like <laughs> she went to Ponderosa. <laughs> uh, man, she, she's why there are no Ponderosas in Finland now. You know, like Finland had had a whole chain of them, and then now they're gone. Uh, in Bannon, I see somebody who presents as a kickboxer but comes forward pretty sloppily and doesn't have a whole lot of power for how hard it looks like she's swinging. I'm not saying she won't get by Brazil, but I, if she beats Brazil, great, but I'm, I'm trying to even picture the other straw weight in the UFC that she's going to beat. She just, she seems low level. She seems not ready for prime time in terms of all the in cage stuff outside of the cage. She's got a certain charisma to her. Uh, I, I, I don't get it, man. This, this card didn't need this. It didn't need this extra bit of, of oomph to it. Uh, here, Brazil's the slight favorite and, you know, I, I'm not going to bust out the, the, 
the Keith line. Like, certainly, if she were a two to one favorite, I'd be like, Bruno Brazil shouldn't be a two to one favorite over anyone in the UFC. But Bruno Brazil might not be favored over anybody else in the UFC strawweight division. But here, I think she's going to be bigger than Bannon, uh, going to be stronger than Bannon. I think she's definitely more versed on the ground than Bannon is. And nothing I saw in Bannon's fights makes me think she's going to be able to stay off the ground if somebody else wants her there. So if this thing plays out on the feet, Brazil might even be the harder shot-for-shot shot hitter. Uh, Brazil's defense on the feet is bad. She's definitely hittable. She likes to block punches with her face. But Bannon doesn't have great power. Like, Brazil could get tagged up some on the feet and I think still have the presence of mind to just crash into her and get one of those collision-type takedowns. Uh, and from there, I expect that she's going to outclass Bannon. So give me uh, Brazil to ruin things for uh, the the British crowd here as the Irish debutante loses. I'm going to say she loses a decision, but if she just really gets mauled on the ground by Bruno Brazil, that wouldn't surprise me too much either. But yeah, give me Shauna Bannon to take her first uh, professional loss here uh, against Bruno Brazil. I just, I just picture Sean Cien watching this and just calling you a si silly lad. <laughs> um yeah, you're talking about a lot of buzz on uh, Bannon. I don't think there's that much buzz considering she's the underdog to a, a female fighter who's 0-1 in the UFC and got knocked out in a minute. So. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I should temper that. Like, I'm not saying that anyone's calling her a future champ. I'm just like shocked by the amount of like video features and interviews she's been getting leading up to this and just like kind of like fluff pieces I've seen. Like just, you know, when I went to search for fight video, I was surprised how much non-fight video there was. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I meant by buzz. Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, anytime you can get a Sh uh, Sean Sheehan reference on the show, is always good. Uh, yeah, Bruna Brazil, she's – I agree with a lot of things you said about her. She's – you know, she's, she's an explosive kickboxer who's very athletic. Uh, she does a lot of feints. But – she wins from athleticism, not from technique. She keeps her chin way too high. She drops her hands, which you know I hate. Uh, she was getting hurt on the feet by Denise Gomez with like every single strike. She couldn't block the uh, the excuse me the right hook because she kept her left hand down, like over and over, just just going over the top of it. Now she's got some good kicks. Uh, she landed a beautiful high kick on the contender series through a lot of spinning attacks. You mentioned she will wrestle, and that's probably her best avenue. Like that's her definitely her biggest. She, I advantage. mean, she landed a beautiful head kick on a woman that's like three and a half feet tall. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but <laughs> that's true. That's true. She had like a nice little story though. Yeah. Like she, had, you know, um, yeah, good good throws on, on the contender series. But she's a weak defensive wrestler. Uh, she did. She did hit a sweep in the contender series, and she has two submission wins. But uh, yeah, she definitely needs a lot of polish. Uh, Bannon, Taekwondo style fighter. Uh, she fights out of both stances. I'd say serviceable boxer uh, in the southpaw stance. She she rips kicks really everywhere. You know, her kicking game is definitely the best part of her game. Uh, she loves a liver kick. She'll throw uh, a kick to the head quickly. Mixes punches and kicks together well in combos. Uh, but defensively, she she lacks head movement. Uh, she does L-step well, uh, but she needs to dip her heads a little bit more. Uh, strong palm clinch. I, you know, and I, I saw that a little bit. Uh, she, I wouldn't call her a wrestler or anything, but uh, you know, I've seen some upper body trips, some some good ground pound on top. But she's not a submission threat. I do like her cardio. She she fights hard, but I think a lot of that has to do with, like you said, um, not a lot of power. <laughs> yeah, 
I'm not crazy about I think I'm a little higher in this fight than you are. Um just because I, I think it'll be entertaining, um, especially if, if it stays on the feet. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the upset. I'm gonna go with Bannon. Uh, she isn't as good of an athlete, but I think she's the more technically sound striker. Um I, I can see her pressing the action. I mean, you I mean say say what you want about her, like, well, she's you know, UFC level, not what she is, is is she, She's kind of fearless. Like she goes after every one of her opponents. She stays in their face. Uh, I can see her throwing a high kick. You know that being an issue if 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 Brazil drops her hands, throwing out, like you know right high kick over the top. Plus, I think she does have the advantage in the cardio, which can help her secure late rounds with her output. Uh, again, I totally agree with you. Say Brazil turns into wrestling match, she probably wins. I don't know if she will though, because she probably should have took. Denise Gomez down and she, and she did it. She stood there and, and became a punching bag. Uh, I'm going to say Bannon wins. I would say she wins by split decision. All right. We have a little bit of disagreement early on uh, this UFC London card. Next up at UFC London, the lightweights take the cage as it is Chris Duncan versus Yanal Ashmos in a classic Scotland versus Israel clash. Duncan, the 30 year old Scott, is. 10 and 1 as a professional. He is 1 and 0 since joining the UFC as a two time veteran of Dana White's contender series. He lost to Slava Borshov all the way back on season five in 2021, came back and beat Charlie Campbell last August, then made his UFC debut at, again, UFC 286 in the same O2 arena back in March, where he took a split decision over Omar Morales. He will look to make it two straight and who knows, maybe earn the right to fight outside of the UK. Standing in his way will be Ashmos. 28-year-old Israeli by way of New Jersey is a perfect 7-0 as a professional. He is 1-0 since joining the UFC uh, as a winner on PFL Challenger Series, actually. PFL Zone Contender Series, he won there. Uh, rather than sign with PFL, he joined the UFC where he debuted again at UFC 286 get used to that it's a theme here and uh, he knocked out sam patterson early in the first round uh, odds here are very close but duncan is just the slightest of favorites he is minus 120 or so ashmo's uh minus 110 keith both these gentlemen fought uh in march in this same arena they both won they both won uh well uh, ashmo's won much more convincingly and uh, I believe he was the underdog. He might have been the underdog in that fight as well. But uh, both looking to carry forward that momentum. Uh, who gets it done here? Yeah, uh, I, I think this is a good matchup, uh, definitely in an action sense. Uh, Duncan, he's he's not a great athlete. He's a little slow. Uh, but he does a really well job of, of drawing his opponents into a brawl, which he likes to do. Uh, he likes wild exchanges. He's a pocket boxer, tight inside boxing, has some serious power. He's got seven KOs. Mixes punches and kicks together well. Um, good, good kicking game. Uh, you know, he likes to throw the calf kicks. Uh, has a lot of defensive holes. One is his lack of head movement. He also keeps his hands low, which is kind of uh, dangerous considering he likes to get inside. Uh, he should have some underrated wrestling in his last fight. And one thing that stands out to me, which I like, he's kind of one of my guys, is he showed a lot of hot going back to the contender series matchup where he was like hurt super bad, uh, found a way to come back and win. But it's also like, why is he getting hurt on the contender series? You know, that's, that's, that's obviously a concern. Now, Ashmos, he's a high volume striker that likes to fight out of both stances. He also likes to throw it on the pocket. 
Also likes tight inside hooks, hits hard. Uh, we saw that in his last fight against Sam Patterson. He really strong kicking game, hard kicks everywhere, good high kick, good calf kicks. Uh, he If he closes distance, he's physically strong in the clinch. He likes to grind in there. I'd say he's a solid wrestler. Uh, likes to clinch and look for inside trips. Some strong top, you know, top side grappling. Some mean ground and pound. And if he's taken down, it, it, it's a, you know, good good job at getting back up if he's taken down. As far as prediction goes, this is a fun fight because both guys are very similar. You know, pocket boxes with the hands, tight inside hooks, large kicking game. Both underrated wrestlers. So I think we got to have a really you know, bring the action type fight where both guys, we might have some really good exchanges. Uh, I guess I'm leaning to the slight upset. I'm going with Ashmus simply because I think he hits harder of the two from what I've seen. And I've also seen Duncan get hurt. And and I wonder if he can handle some of the shots Ashmus throws. So give me Ashmus. Uh, Duncan's really tough. So I think he makes a decision. I just think he, you know, the hardest shots come from Ashmus. So give me Ashmus by decision. Awesome. I, I like a lot of the things you mentioned because it does match up with some of my observations. I remember uh, doing tape on Duncan going into his fight in March. And my thought was uh, he's a whole lot of fun, but he like even like not even talking about his contender series loss, which is still his only career loss, but even just talking about fighting people on Bellator's UK cards and just various uh, smaller shows he would let himself be drawn into firefights. And I felt like he got wrong, like just got hit cleanly a few too many times by fighters that otherwise he overmatched very badly. And then, you know, two shots on the contender series, both times, as you pointed out, like Charlie Campbell had him hurt. Uh, Slava Borstov knocked him out. And against Borstov in particular, Duncan had to know he was facing a pretty one dimensional uh, striker who, whose ground game was unproven at best and just it seemed didn't fight to his best advantage so I think I even picked Morales against him at UFC 286 just thinking you know what if Duncan's best avenue was to wrestle Morales I'm not sure he's going to do it and Morales isn't the knockout machine but he is a hard enough hitter to make Duncan pay if he just engages in a wild brawl and he came out on, on the right side of it and I'm having to think maybe Duncan is a guy that, okay, he doesn't have top 15 upside, especially in a division like lightweight, but he's good enough to make this kind of uh, approach work against a better caliber of fighter than I was, than I thought he was originally. Certainly, Yanal Ashmas is a guy that's going to be able to challenge that because as you point out, they're broadly similar in their approach, but Ashmas might even be a harder hitter in terms of one shot power, especially in the hands. Uh, if, like if Duncan's not going to be able to make this style work in the UFC, we might find it out right here and right now, kind of like uh, we did on the Contender Series when he fought uh, Borshov. I am going to, oh man, is this the second fight in a row that you're picking the upset? I can't be the square twice in a row. I was thinking of this fight as a coin flip fight already. Uh, the only thing I'm pretty sure of is that it's going to be one of the more fun fights on uh, the undercard for however long it goes. But I'm going to lean with you. I think of this as a coin flip uh, fight. Either guy could hurt the other really badly. But Ashmo's being a little bit of a harder hitter, a little bit younger. Uh, I'll just shade slightly towards him. Give me Ashmo's and a really close decision and a real fun fight. 
we head now to the women's bantamweight division where every fight has just a little bit more at stake than we would have thought just three months ago. And it is to, well, pretty much everybody's a contender now, but uh, two contenders in uh, Caitlin Vieira and Pani Kienzad. Vieira, the 31-year-old Brazilian, is 13-3 and overall. She is 7-3 and in the UFC. She is coming in off of a loss. She dropped a split decision uh, against Raquel Pennington at the Strickland versus Imavov fight night back in January. Prior to that, she had been on a two-fight win streak against former champs Holly Holm and Misha Tate. Uh, however, those were spread across two years. Both of them were fight night headliners, and both of them were, frankly speaking, horrible fights to watch. Uh, those two probably knocked her out of consideration for headlining any more shows. And then the Pennington fight knocked her out of the immediate title picture. She'll look to get back into that picture against uh, Kianzad. The 31-year-old Iranian-born Swede fighting out of Denmark is 16-6 and six overall. She is 6-3 and three since joining the UFC as a former Cage Warriors Bantamweight champ and as the featherweight runner-up of the 28th season of The Ultimate Fighter, where she uh, came up short against Macy Chasson. She is coming in off of a win. It has been uh, over a year, however, since she fought. She last appeared at UFC on ESPN Luque versus Muhammad 2 last April, where she took a unanimous decision over Lena Landsberg. Prior to that, she had dropped a decision to uh, the same Raquel Pennington who knocked off Vieira in her last fight. And prior to that, she had been on a four-fight win streak. So uh, both women here looking to build back some positive momentum. Vieira is the favorite to get it done. She's minus 200. Kianzad plus 160 uh, on the comeback. Keith, first question, uh, and then your your prediction on this one. If the UFC even cares who wins this fight, who do you think they want to win, and who do you think gets it done? Um, I don't think they really care. Um, but maybe Kianzad. But I mean, I don't think like 51, 49 percent kind of thing. Like I, yeah. I, I don't. It's not like there's more. Neither one's really a star. I just think, you know, there's a lot of Brazilians. You know, you know, like you don't, you don't need another Brazilian star. Yeah, you know? there's a um, lot of Brazilians, and I mean, Penny Kianzad, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. But a lot of people find her attractive. She sure. speaks perfect. I mean, she speaks like five languages perfectly. If not for the fact that her fights are absolute NyQuil, I mean, she could be a star, but as it is, yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you, man. Like, I doubt the UFC super, super cares about it. See, I, see, I don't think her fights are that boring. Um, but yeah, she, I, I, I know she spoke, I mean, because she's what, like, she Swedish, but like, like she's uh, born, in born, Iran. In, born, born in Iran, like her, she's Iranian ethnically, grew up in Sweden, fights out of Denmark, uh, you know. That's at least three languages there plus English. Yeah. Yeah. Um so who who wins the fight? This this is a, I think this is a tough matchup. I think the line should be a little bit closer. Um Kellen Vieira, she she's a I described her in the past like as a brute. She's a strong and lengthy fighter. Uh she's a counter striker. She sometimes can be a little bit too patient uh and, and needs her to let her hands go a little bit more. I think definitely in her last fight uh was something I noted. She's a solid boxer. Doesn't have the fastest hands. Uh, she, everything that she does works off the jab. Uh, she has a bit of an up jab because she she keeps her hands low. Her follow up shots I've described in the past uh, very Fedor 
like style where she throws a lot of looping uh, shots, trying to round her opponent's defenses. She does have some serious power for the division. Uh, she has a lot of defensive issues. She pulls her head straight back. Uh, being the big thing, being a minus athlete isn't doesn't help. Uh, I like her dirty boxing. I mean, I go back to like the Katzen and I know this is a you know, really long time ago, but she like beat up Katzen on the clinch. Uh, I was surprised at how how much she struggled in the clinch against Holly Holm. Uh, she can wrestle. Uh, she's a judo black belt. I, you know, I, I always go back because obviously it's the most impressive wrestling performance. But when she threw Sarah McMahon, that was really impressive. Uh, she has good entries. She's out grappled. McMahon, she's outgrappled Sajara Eubanks, Kassingana, Yana Kuniskaya more recently, which is, you know, is, say what you want, Kuniskaya, like, outgrappling her is never, you know, strong because of how big she is. Uh, Kian Zed, she's been on a nice little run, and it's a run that I don't think a lot of people expected from her. She's won five out of her last six fights. Uh, the one thing to say, that she's only 31, and I, I think of her so much older. If you, like, you had me guess, I would have guessed, like, 36 or something, but she's only 31. Wait, how are these women the same age? Like that's yeah. yeah. And in fact, Vieta is even like a couple months older. I yeah. just assumed that Kianza would be like four years older. Same as yeah. you. Yeah. Um is also big. I mean, she's a bantamweight. She used to fight at featherweight, so she's she's got some size. Uh she's a she's a volume striker, uh pressure striker, good boxing, quick hands, tight, tight boxing inside, works behind a jab, uh, decent power. Like I think her power is a little bit underrated. Uh definitely not like a power puncher like Vieira, but she's she's got a little bit of sing. I like her calf kicks, uh, which she throws in combination. She has some defensive holes. She, um, because she's constantly taking ground, she kind of walks into some shots with her chin high in the air, and, and she lacks head movement. She also can battle and clinch and use her size to grind her opponent, but she definitely isn't the offensive wrestler that uh, Vieira is, and I'd say she's a weak defensive wrestler. And a biggest issue is she struggles to get back to her feet. Uh, I like this fight. Um I'm a fan of Kanzai. Like I, I think she's underrated. If this remains on the feet, she could win with her volume and her pressure. Plus, she is the more technically sound striker. However, the big gap in the fight is the wrestling to me. And I see Vera taking this fight to the ground, uh, spending a lot of time on top. I see her being there for a long periods of time. And and I think that's what Vera does to win a decision. So give me Vera by decision. Yeah. I think I am probably one of those people who underrates Kianzad because there's just something plugged in the back of my mind that every time she's won a fight in the UFC, I've just been a little surprised afterwards. Even as she like racked up a four fight win streak and fought her way into title contention, you know, and ran into Pennington. And it probably goes all the way back to when she was an in Invicta and kind of lost to most of the decent fighters she fought there, but she had improved. By the time she got to tough, she's improved during her time in the UFC. I mean, she probably just has quietly gotten better while I haven't yet adjusted my perceptions uh, of her. Uh, here, yeah, I just... If she takes charge of the fight, like, she can definitely beat Vieira. Uh, I, I agree with you that unless Vieira, like, starts tagging her and hurting her Kian's ads like pressuring style and, and superior volume could win rounds. Uh, if Vieta ends up going for takedowns, mashing her against the, the fence, I'll be interested to see what happens there. I think those, uh, I think those positions probably favor Vieta just because she is 
so big and so strong and they're like her deficiencies in athleticism and raw speed are like covered up a little bit. And I think that's probably we're gonna what we're gonna get here. Uh give me Vieta to probably win two rounds out of three. And the rounds that Vieta wins, if it does go two rounds to one, they'll be kind of the groaners where it gets really grindy and Kianzab will win the fun round and you know, Vieta wins a decision and nobody's real happy about it. So uh give me Vieta by by decision here. Next up at UFC Fight Night 224 is a middleweight matchup between Mahmoud Muradov and Brian Barbarena. Muradov, the 33-year-old Tajikistan-born, Uzbekistan-raised resident of the Czech Republic, is 25-8 and overall. He is 3-2 and since joining the UFC. Uh, out of Octagon MMA, the Czech Republic's uh, top promotion, he is on a two-fight losing streak. He won his first three in the UFC, uh, running his overall win streak all the way to 14 fights and uh, marking himself as a person of interest in the division before running into adversity in the form of Gerald Mearshart and Kyle Bahalio, who have dealt him back-to-back losses. The most recent of those, the Bahalio fight, was at UFC 280 last October. That was a unanimous decision. But uh, at any rate, Muradov looking to bounce back from his first or his first losing streak in a long, long time. The same can be said about his opponent, but that's where the similarities kind of end here. Uh, Barbarena, the 34-year-old Californian by way of Arizona, by way of North Carolina, is 18-10 and 10 overall. He is an even 9-9 nine and nine in the UFC. Uh, he, like Muradov, is on a two-fight losing streak. He has been tapped out by Rafael Dos Anjos and Gunnar Nelson in his last two outings. The most recent of those, the Nelson fight, was at UFC 286 in London in March. That apparently was enough to get Barbarana to move up to 185 pounds. Uh, he is doing that here, and he is going to try to reverse his fortunes against Muradov. He is decidedly not favored to do so. Muradov is minus 275, Barbarana plus 220. Keith, this seems on the face of it like a terrible idea to me. <laughs> Brian Barbarana who's he was about as known a quantity as there was in the welterweight division. He was never going to be a top contender. He was never going to fight for a title, uh, but he would yeah, reliably give really game performances against opponents from the lowest of the low up to the highest of the high. I mean, he's nine and nine in the UFC, but his losses are to ranked guys. Rafael Dos Anjos. Randy Brown, Vicente Luque, Leon Edwards. Most of his, like, most of his losses are not bad. Mm. He, well, to bring back something we said uh, in a previous preview, he he's lost badly. He doesn't have that many bad <laughs> yeah, losses. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And he's the kind of guy that just being tough and game and throwing good volume has been enough for, to get him past, you know, slightly to badly washed legends like Matt Brown and Robbie Lawler. Uh, his problems, none of them are going to be fixed by moving up to 185 pounds. Because <laughs> no, no. uh, his his two biggest problems at 170 pounds were, while he threw good volume, he didn't have enough power to make really <laughs> determined welterweights respect him, and his defensive wrestling is maybe the worst in the division. <laughs> All and, time, yeah. and at 170 that really, really matters once you get into the top 10 because that's where all the wrestlers live. 
185 isn't quite as flush with wrestlers, but oh, that's stop not- it. Stop it, Ben. Single, single one wrestler singular. who trumps everybody, of course. There is, there is Bo but, Nickel. Okay, but you on. know what? Bo Nickel is the only wrestler in the division that Barbarina has to worry at all about fighting in his next fight if he beats Muradov. For the he, I, I, win or lose, I, I think that's not, not you know people always talk about Bo Nickel who could be his next one. That Barbarina makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one bow would be huge next yeah. to him. But yeah, but it's like huge. you know, like a veteran with a name. Yeah, someone that but, he's just gonna absolute maul, and then you can see his wrestling again because he really hasn't shown his wrestling. Yeah. Anyways, carry on. But Muradov, I don't, I, I don't know if this is a bad idea by Barbarina. I think it's a bad idea, but Muradov ain't the guy to find it out against because Muradov is a big tank of a man for 185. And while he prefers to strike, he was a Sambist first, and he can wrestle when he wants to. Uh, it, he's coming in off of back-to-back losses, but Gerald Mearstart's going to do that to people from time to time, and Kyle Bahalio's great. And aside from that, yeah. Muradov was looking pretty good. Really, the only thing that's kept Muradov, or that stood between him and top 10 fights earlier is that he kept getting injured. Like it's, it's kind of a bummer because when he first signed with the UFC in 2019, he was on the right side of age 30, but on top of everything else, like he's had like multiple layoffs of like a year or more. And all of a sudden he's 33. He's had four or five fights fizzle due to injury or illness, or I, I mean, I guess one of them was just due to COVID in general. It's not that he had COVID, but he's had at least three fights canceled due to injury. So the upside is a lot more modest now, but his ch- none of that affects his chances against Barbarena unless he shows up missing an arm or leg or something that I don't, I didn't hear about. I think this is a brutal mismatch and while we go to the trouble to say it every time that this is not a betting podcast, I'm surprised that Muradov is not a bigger favorite here. I haven't seen anything from either of these guys that makes me think that Barbarina has much of a chance because Barbarina is not going to knock him out with one punch. Even if he catches Muradov flat-footed, at most, maybe he pours it on and wins that round. But on top of everything else, if Muradov gets hurt, He's got the takedown as a safety outlet. And that's assuming he gets something he doesn't like on the feet. I think Muradov has the advantage standing as well. He's going to be bigger. He's going to have a better reach, a lot more power, a greater diversity of strikes. Uh, I, I think Muradov's going to myrtleize this guy. Uh, give me Muradov to probably knock a Barbarian out in the first round. Uh, I think he's going to hurt him bad on the feet. Uh, maybe hustle a... An, a dinged up Barbarina to the ground, finish it with uh finish it with ground and pound, but this thing's over in, inside of five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, you know what? Let's let's just save time for it's 15 fights. Barbarina is gonna get absolutely starched. It, it makes no sense moving up in in a way to be he, he's not a huge welterweight. If he was a if he was Kamara Usman, I go, oh okay. Like I get it. Yeah, getting older you know, you know, losing streak. You why make that weight cut? You can compete at Vano. Uh, you know, uh, excuse me, at middleweight. Barbarino's he's a shot fighter. <laughs> I've been saying that for a while now. He's shot, uh, and that's not trying to diss Barbarino. It happens to everybody, you know. And uh, Barbarino is a fun action fighter who's the wars has, you know, taken its toll on him. 
He slowed down. His athleticism's gone. He's undersized. He can't wrestle, and he's going against a guy who's going to be way too fast, uh, way too powerful, way too big, and he's going to get knocked out. So give me Moretta by first-round knockout. Next up at UFC London, the UK's great next heavyweight hope finally takes to the octagon the fight we've all been waiting for. It is Michael Parkin versus Jamal Pogues. Uh, Parkin, the 27-year-old Brit, is a perfect 6-0 in his mixed martial arts career. This will be his UFC debut. He competed on Dana White's Contender Series last August, where he choked out Eduardo Nevis in the first round. Uh, he'll look to stay undefeated here against Pogues. The 27-year-old American is 10-3 overall. He is 1-0 in the UFC after joining as a two-time veteran of the Contender Series. He fought on Season 3 back in 2019 as a light heavyweight, winning a decision. That was back in Season 3 where every winner did not automatically get signed. He came back uh, last year, last August, won a unanimous decision over Paulo Henato Jr. That was good enough to punch his ticket to the big octagon. He debuted in February, taking a unanimous decision over Josh Parisian. So he's going to look to keep the good vibes going against Parkin. He actually is slightly favored to do so. Pogues is minus 140, Parkin plus 110 on the comeback. Keith, uh, this is the unranked heavyweight slobber knocker that the UFC loves to stuff onto every card. The best I can say for it is that at least they didn't shoehorn it onto the main card this time. Yeah. Who have you got in this one? And does, I'm not even going to ask you if either of these guys has top 10 upside. Uh, does either of these guys have what it takes to still be in the UFC two years from now? Uh, yeah, it's heavyweight. If it was a different division, I might say no. Heavyweight, yes. Uh, this is where uh, Dana White a month ago was asking questions about uh, John Jones versus Tyson Fury, and you know, and it's like that's what he that's what he wanted, but he ordered off wish, and this is what he got instead. This is the, the, the wish <laughs> brand. Um, uh, yeah, Jamal Pokes, he's it's he's a minus athlete. He's, you know, he's kind of plotting. He, he throws a lot of single shots. He's, he's, he's got a good jab. He, he throws straight shots down the pipe. And he's straight right being his best punch. The problem is he, for heavyweight, he lacks like one punch fight ending power. He's definitely not, you know, if you're ranking hardest punchers in the heavyweight division, he'd be close to the bottom. He, he keeps his chin high in the air, which is a concern. He, ha he has good kicks. I, I like his high kick. Uh, though he doesn't check leg kicks, go back to his contender series fight where he was his legs were beaten up uh, from kicks. He can wrestle, though. I said this last time he fought. The broadcast team greatly overrates his wrestling. <laughs> you know, um, he's not <laughs> Gable Stevenson walking out there. Uh, Gable Stevenson, sorry, uh, Steve. I'm, I'm messing up his name. Sorry, you know, you know what I'm talking about. No. Uh, he he has one submission on his record, and he's been sub twice in his career. No, Parking. Uh, he's only 27, so that's like being like 14 if he's, you know, for heavyweight. He's undefeated with all stoppages, and he's undefeated as an enemy. Like, you've got to like that. But in fairness, when you look at the guys he's beating, he's beating a lot of inexperienced dudes. The guy he beat on the contender series gassed out in like a minute. Uh, he's a minus athlete. He, he does have some decent power because he's a big guy, but he was hurt on the contender series. 
he he looked at, when he was getting hurt hit he turtled up which i you know i hate he looked to wrestle but his wrestling was sloppy he did show ability to get back to his feet he's, he's a heavy guy like if he gets on top he, he he keeps his weight on top pretty well uh and, and he got a submission in his last fight in fairness, you can tell by the way I just talked about Parkin. I, I kind of only watched one of his fights just due to time. But what I saw, I did not like. Um, it, it's, it's hard to have confidence in, in, in Pogues, but I think Pogues is better than him everywhere. I think he's a better athlete, which is surprising to say. Uh, he's a more technical striker. He's definitely the better wrestler. I see Pogues winning uh, this fight, getting on top, and eventually getting a stoppage. Uh, I'll see from ground and pound. I'll see he does in the second round. Yeah, n- neither of these guys is super high level. Parkin fought his way to the UFC against some low-level competition. Uh, so did Pogues. I mean, Pogues, he is Californian, but he came up through like the lowest of the low California promotions. Like California Cage Wars and Gladiator Challenge are both really, really rough stuff. Uh, it- it's... He's one of those guys. I mean, he used to be a light heavyweight. He fought at light heavyweight for most of his uh, regional career on the way up. His first appearance on the contender series was light heavyweight. And But he's one of those dudes that as soon as he moved up to heavyweight, he went from weighing in at 206 to weighing in at like 246 just instantly. There was never that... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Brandon Vera or Randy Couture thing. Well, yeah, when I fight at heavyweight, I'm like 223 or 227. Yeah. No, he's the Linton Vassell... Uh, type guy like Marcos Hogerio de Lima where he was huge as soon as he started uh, fighting at heavyweight and probably best suited there because his deficiencies in speed and athleticism were even more manifest at at light heavyweight. It's tough to have uh, confidence in him because he has so many deficiencies. Uh, You mentioned his uh, striking deficiencies. He's also bad on the ground defensively. He's a pretty good offensive wrestler by the standards of heavyweight, but you know, I saw him get just heel hooked effortlessly by Alex Polizzi, who is a decent light heavyweight. Who's over in Bellator right now in an LFA. I don't think either of these guys uh, is probably super long for the UFC. I'm leaning towards Pogues here for the reasons you mentioned. And on top of that, just being a bigger guy. He may not be the heavier guy. Like Parkin's probably going to weigh in closer to the limit, but Pogues is going to be, I think he's going to be taller, have a bigger frame and and just fight bigger. So I, I think that's going to work in his favor. I think just being more experienced against the higher level of competition is probably going to help him. Uh, If Parkin catches him with his chin in the air and leaves him face down on the canvas, I won't be that shocked, but uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards Pogues here as well. Uh, Given that Parkin hasn't really lost yet that any of us have seen, it's anybody's guess what it looks like when he loses. But my guess is that Parkin is going to gas fast and Pogues will probably just pound out an exhausted Parkin on the ground late in the fight. So give me Pogues by by TKO in round three. But if he just, you know, hangs on to win a decision going away, that wouldn't be too shocking either. Next up at UFC London... Keith, we talked a little earlier on this card about how kind of jarring it is that Kitlin Vieira and Panny Kianzad are the same age just because it feels like Kianzad has been around so much longer. 
Yeah. Imagine my surprise when I realized that Mark Jacquesi and Joel Alvarez are the same age. Yeah. I, I would have assumed that Jacquesi was like seven or eight years yeah. older. Uh, anyway, let me introduce this fight before we go that way. Uh, next up at UFC London, 155-pound matchup, knock on wood, between Mark Jacquesi and Joel Alvarez. Jacquesi, the 30-year-old Brit, is 16-6 and six overall. He's seven and six in the UFC. Uh, he's coming in off of a loss. He fought most recently last December at UFC on ESPN, Thompson versus Holland, where he dropped a unanimous decision to uh, Michael Johnson. That snapped a two-fight win streak for him. So he's looking to get back on track here against Alvarez, uh, who is also looking to reclaim some momentum. 30-year-old Spaniard is 19 and three overall. He is four and two in the UFC. He fought most recently back in February at UFC Fight Night, Makachev versus Green, where he had the double whammy of showing up overweight by several pounds and then uh, getting pretty much thrashed by one of the smallest guys in the division in the form of Armand Sarukian. So uh, he's definitely looking to reclaim any of his rising prospect shine as well as uh, get back in the win column here. He is actually favored to do so. Alvarez is minus 165, Jacquesi plus 140. Uh, Keith, who you got in this fight? And win or lose, uh, are you surprised to see Alvarez still uh, trying to do this thing at 155, considering just how huge he is? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's huge. Uh, yeah, um, I, I, the older he gets, it's going to be harder. It's going to be for him to make the weight. Um, but there's there's a couple guys like that on this card. But yeah, he's he, he's a huge dude. Uh, Dikesi, you know, is a tough matchup for anybody. Uh, he's he's a good athlete. He's pretty tactical, sound. Uh, he can fight out of both stances. I'd say he's got some fast hands, though he can be gun shy at times. Be a little low output. I mean, we saw that against Michael Johnson in his last fight. Uh, his straight right from the orthodox stance is probably his best blow. I like that he works the body. He. He lacks punching power, though the broadcast teams can pretend that he's Francis Ngano out there with, with his punching power. Uh, just because from his look, he looks like he should hit really he's hard. He's a ripped dude with a red mohawk. You just expect him to be able to punch people into the third row. Yeah. 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 Like he should, he, he looks like, uh, what was that? What was that comic book? I think it was a comic book. You, you know me. When it comes to pop culture, I'm, I'm freaking terrible. I can talk international wrestling and, and, uh, <laughs> WF wrestling. Uh, Remember the comic book where I think the movie was kind of black and white, but then they had moments where there was like colors. Sounds like you might be talking about like Sin City or something. I think Uh, Bruce, is that the one Bruce Willis was in? Yeah, Bruce Willis was in Sin City. Yeah. Yeah. Like he looks like a character from Sin City. Like like he, like just the red mohawk would be showing in the scene. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No. And in the movie, he would like punch a car and it would go flying across the screen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, like I think I tried to get punched by, by Dia Casey, then get calf kicked by him. Like that's his best tool. Yeah, uh, I like when he gets in the pocket and he throws in step in knees. That's something really good. Uh, I also he like gets in close. He looks for elbows. He's a very good wrestler. Uh, he's got a good penetration step uh, that he does well. To you know, chain wrestling, turn the corner. Uh, I go back to like the Demir Hasvik. He beat him strictly just wrestling, and that's where they got with the uh, was that D D one Dia Casey. They started saying. Yeah. Um, yep. But due to not being a traditional wrestler, his top game does need to improve. Um, that's because, let's be honest, if you're not a traditional wrestler, 
uh, your wrestling is like, oh, we'll shoot some takedowns. Like, oh, oh, we see wrestlers doing, let's do that. But you don't do the whole grappling, the whole everything that goes also you, with you, that. So that's you like, don't see what those guys have been drilling, like you know the chaining, yeah. Yeah, but also, but also like the the grounding. They, they don't do referees' position. They don't do yeah. tilts, and they don't do you know <laughs> cradles and stuff. So there's like there's also that just top control and can mm-hmm. too. Uh, he's got some strong takedown defense. If taken down, he does well to get backed up. Uh, a concern though is his submission defense. He got caught by Rafael Alves. He got caught by Dan Hooker in the guillotine. Uh, Joel Alvarez, you mentioned it in the intro, just like how big he is. He's long. He's lengthy. He's a good striker. Though he stands a little tall too, for my for my liking, he he drops his hands too, which is which is concerning. But he's got good output, nice crisp boxing, works behind a long jab, great kicking game. Uh, if you try to get inside him, he showed against Thiago Moises like he can butcher you up if you get inside of him, like looking for knees and elbows. Uh, he isn't the best offense re- wrestler, but he does find ways to get to fight the ground, and he's a some serious submission threat. Fantastic guillotine. Uh, he subbed Joe Duffy with it. He armbarred Alexander Jakovev. Uh, this is this is a tough fight because like Diakesi has shown um, potential, but he's just so inconsistent. So I'm going with Alvarez. I'm all over Alvarez. I think he's bigger than him. I think he's got longer legs in him. He's got better output. Uh, he's a more of a submission threat. And, I, and I'm kind of just done with Diakesi at this point. Uh, I think Alvarez takes the fight to Diakasey. I think he lands the hardest shots. I th- I think Diakasey's going to make a mistake. Maybe he shoots in uh, without a setup or something, and I think Alvarez jumps on a submission, maybe a guillotine or something. Give me Alvarez by second round sub. I wouldn't be surprised at all by that. Alvarez, I you know I mentioned at the beginning of this segment that I was surprised to find that these guys are both thirty years old. There's just something about Alvarez. One, that he was a much later arrival in top-level promotions. And then two, he's just like a little a little bit baby-faced. That he still has a bit of prospect feel to me. And I've probably... I'm pausing right here because I think I might be starting to break up. No, you're, you're good. Okay. Uh I've probably just am being too hard on him. I guess two UFC losses are to Demiris Magulov and Armin Sarukian. Those are both very good fighters, yeah, know, like top 10 talents, you know, at, at the very least. And he has good. I mean, the Tiago Moises win was just a mauling. I, I probably being too hard on Alvarez for that last outing where he just, you know, like, showed up overweight, didn't look great in the cage, got overwhelmed by a much smaller guy. But I'm still kind of wait and see with Alvarez at this point. And on top of everything else, it's been like, you know, a year and a half since then, time during which he's hit his 30th birthday. It's not going to get easier for him to make 156 pounds as that goes along. Just so many of the unknowns here to me seem to favor Jacasey. So I am going with the slight upset here. Uh, if Jacasey does something ill-advised, plays into Alvarez's strengths, wouldn't surprise me at all if, as as you mentioned, he just shoots right into a guillotine. But of these two, Jacasey is the one that I think, I mean, I think he'll uh, throw at least as much volume. Uh, if he's smart, I think he can get uh, the fight to the ground 
in situations that don't play into Alvarez's hands. Like Alvarez isn't nearly as good off his back as he is in transition uh, or on top. And of the two, if this thing goes past the middle of the second round, uh, Dukesi is the one whose gas tank I'm going to trust more uh, going into the you know final seven or eight minutes of the fight. So give me Dukesi by decision here uh, in the in the slight to moderate upset. We head now to the welterweight division and a matchup between Danny Roberts and the debuting Johnny Parsons. Roberts, the 36-year-old from Liverpool, is 18 and 7 overall. He is 7 and 6 in the UFC. He is coming into this fight on a two-fight losing streak. Uh, those both being appearances last year against uh, Francisco Trinaldo in May and Jack de la Madalena in November. He's looking to snap a losing streak here. He's looking to do it against Parsons. The 31-year-old American is 7 and 3 overall. He competed on the Contender Series last or sorry, he competed on the Contender Series back in October of 2021. It was back in uh, Season 5. He won a split decision over Solomon Renfro. He was supposed to debut against Michael Gilmore, the uh, tough 29 or 30 veteran. All the way back last February, Parsons had to withdraw with some form of injury, and uh, those issues have kept him out for over a year. So he's finally making his debut almost two years after he fought on the Contender Series. Uh, despite all that, Parsons is barely the underdog here. Roberts is minus 130, Parsons plus 100, uh, even money. Uh, Keith, who you got in, in this one? And in a division as absolutely stacked with uh, talent and just stud fighters as welterweight. Is there much to expect out of Parsons other than being a opponent that Danny Roberts might get a win against in front of a partisan crowd? Um, he, he's an action fighter. I'll say that like he, he can, he can be fun. Uh, that That's the biggest thing he's got going for him. Um, He's, you know, he's got a tough test, and, and Danny Roberts, a true veteran. Roberts, you know, the first thing I think of Roberts is just how big the guy is. The guy's a huge welterweight. Um, he's, he's, he makes more sense moving up to middleweight than than Brian Barberino does. Uh, he, he can fight at both stances. He moves really well, some good footwork. He's pretty elusive. Uh, despite his movement, he doesn't like being pressured. You could take the fight to him. He's got some fast hands, some nice zip on his shots. Uh, some nice snap on his shots, though he he will overthrow a little bit too much. He looks for his overhand left a little bit too much. He keeps his hand low, which means he throws from different angles, and and he does hit hard. Uh, he throws hard kicks to the body, especially from the orthodox stance. Uh, he pillars defensively, which which I'm not, which I don't like. Uh, he will use his size to grind in the clinch, and he's a he's an okay wrestler, um, but. Being that he's not, you know, what I just said recently, being that he's not a true traditional wrestler, he doesn't have the, the best top game. Uh, he's not a great defensive wrestler. Uh, because of his size, he's hard to hold down. Uh, given that he can get back to his feet. But you got you to gotta worry about his chin a little bit as he, as he was recently starched by Jack Della Maddalena. Uh, as far as Parsons, Parsons is a southpaw, uh, but he often fights out of both stances. He's a Muay Thai specialist. A good output. Uh, I, I like his overhand right, though he can overthrow his shots, leaving him open to be countered. Uh, likes to go to the body. He's got some hard kicks, uh, sneaky high kick. Uh, he's got a large arsenal of different types of kicks. Like he throws like a question mark kick, stuff like that. Checks kicks well. Uh, he was hurt on the on the contender series, but he showed the toughness by being able to survive. 
Uh, and that's because he keeps, you know, the reason why he got hurt, he keeps his chin a little too high in the air. I haven't seen too much of his ground game, but what I have seen, he, he, he you know, it's he'll get inside and throw some inside trips. Uh, this is a close fight. Who would you say was the f- favorite? Roberts, just slightly. He's minus 130. Parsons okay. plus 100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I think that line, that's, that's what it should be. I'm not very high in either guy. I thought about going Roberts due to just with an experience and in fighting higher level competition. He also has a size advantage. I just I don't trust his chin anymore, and I'm I'm gonna go with the slight upset. I'm gonna see Parson catches him and, and puts him out. I'm gonna see Parson does it early. Give me Parson by first round knockout. It's so tempting to take that uh, upset pick with you because you're right. The biggest question mark about Roberts. Uh, well, really has always been is his chin. Like it's especially concerning now as he's in his late thirties and he's been knocked out badly recently, but you go back, uh, he's been knocked out in, I think all but one of his UFC losses at this point. I think uh, Trinaldo is the only guy that didn't finish him. And that's because 43 year old Trinaldo, I, I mean, couldn't finish the sandwich at this point. Uh, and if there's one thing we know about Parsons it's that at the very least he's going to try his best to test that chin. Um, he's super aggressive, uh, throws hard, you know, uh, his punches throws hard from both, you know, from both sides. <sighs> you know me that I always shy away from picking someone who's been away from as long as Parsons has, especially for medical reasons and taking such a substantial step up in competition. Like Roberts will be by far the best fighter Parsons has faced, whereas the opposite is absolutely not true. You know, Parsons, at least on paper, will be the easiest fight Roberts has had in probably six or seven years. Having said all that, I'm with you here, man. Roberts, even at his best, has been caught cleanly by most of his foes at some point. And... Parsons is going to give himself plenty of chances to do that. So uh, give me Parsons to make it a real quiet O2 arena. Uh, I've got him by knockout and I'm not going to be contrarian just to be different than you. I'm going to say gets it done in the first round as well, because I think that's the most likely outcome here. Next up at UFC Fight Night 224, and at least as the card is set up as of the beginning of fight week, the top prelim is a bantamweight matchup between Davey Grant and Daniel Marcos. Grant, the 37-year-old Englishman, is 15 and 6 overall. He is 6 and 5 since joining the UFC as the most accomplished male cast member of the 18th season of The Ultimate Fighter at this point. Uh, he is on a two-fight win streak, those being a win last May over Luis Smolka and then a third-round technical submission of Rafael Asuncao in March at UFC Fight Night, Jan versus Dvalishvili. Uh, one of the front runners in my book for submission of the year, as he put the Brazilian veteran all the way to sleep with an inverted triangle choke, he will look to make it three in a row and continue his uh, remarkable surge in the bantamweight division in his late thirties against Marcos. 30 year old Peruvian is a perfect 14 and 0 as a professional mixed martial artist. He is one and 0 since joining the UFC as a veteran of Dana White's contender series. Uh, he won on the contender series last September, got a short notice call up to fight Simon Oliveira at UFC 283 this January, and he uh, finished the Brazilian with uh, body 
a knee to the body and follow-up punches in the second round. He is going to look to stay undefeated here. He is ever so slightly favored to do so. He is minus 130, Grant plus 110 on the comeback. If you are enjoying this show via one of our audio podcast platforms and you can't see the video, you missed the telltale Keith Schillen eyebrow of that is a surprising line. Uh, speaking of lines, uh, Keith, when Marcos debuted against Simon Oliveira back in January, it was on short notice. He was an underdog in that fight. To our credit, you and I both picked the upset there. Uh, of course, we don't get fights wrong. Yeah, we never get fights wrong, uh, especially, you know, debuting guys out of, uh, <laughs> you know, second tier South American scenes yeah. and stepping up on like five days notice. We never get those wrong. Yeah. Uh, but no, we, we, no, we might as well call it. us Jose and Miguel over here. Yeah. <laughs> it like part of that, at least in my case, was a referendum on, on what I thought of Simon Oliveira. But, you know, the tape I saw on Marcos, I was pleasantly disposed towards him. You clearly were for your own reasons as well. Here it's a whole different test, and he's now the favorite over Grant, a guy that's, in my book, he has uh, performed past all expectations, uh, a guy that's not only stuck around but is arguably arguably fighting better than he ever has at age 37 in a division where that is not normally the case. Uh, who gets it done here? Does uh, Is there any joy for the hometown crowd here, or is it uh, is it Peru's night? Yeah, it, it, it fighting David Grant's always tough. So because you know he's he's not a great athlete, he's a minus athlete, but he's our kind of guy. He's a true overachiever because of his toughness. He's at the age when he should be declining, but he's never looked better. Uh, he presses the action. His hands are quicker than I originally thought they were. Uh, he throws hard. They're looping punches, but because of that, they come in from some weird angles. He can overswing. But he has he has power. I mean, he he starts Martin Day, he knocked out Jonathan Martinez, which is a really good win. Uh, he's got a good kicking game. He likes that like Holly Holm sidekick, nice calf kicks. Uh, go back to the Louis Smoker fight; he destroyed him with calf kicks. He's an underrated wrestler. He, he's a you know offensively, he's a weak defensive wrestler, but he's 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 got a good get up game if taken down. Uh, he has nine subs on his record, um, especially he's he's good at using his length and, and catching a, a submission in a scramble. Uh, I, you know, regardless of what happened in the controversy in the Rafael Sunsau fight, catching a guy like Rafael Sunsau in an inverted triangle, even at this point in Sunsau's career, it's still very impressive. Um, some concerns is is just his durability at this point. You know, he's been in some wars. He's been hurt. Like in the in the day Martinez fight, two fights that he won, he was hurt. Uh, the um, Giannis fight, he was hurt. But regardless of that, he's going to bring the fight all 15 minutes. Uh, and he has the cardio, as we saw in his last fight, to kind of press the action. Uh, Marcos, he's a really good striker. He's a Muay Thai striker that stays in his opponent's face, uh, fights behind a high guard defense. He's a, a pressure counter striker. I, I'd say I'd call it like a controlled pressure. Like he's, 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 not, um, he's definitely not uh, Davy Grant where it's, it's balls to the wall the whole time, but it's more of a – you know, just just turning up the pressure a little bit, turning up the heat a little bit. And he's got fast hands, really short shots that land well, not a lot of tells. He's accurate, uh, you know, a bit of a sniper. What I liked, what I've seen him, he's thrown to spots. 
and kind of catches opponents when they try to escape. When he's pressing them, the you know he's getting near the fence. They have one way or the way. He'll he'll he won't throw out the opponent. He'll throw it to the spot that they're going to escape, which is uh, something that really high guys like Petrion and and Israel Asanya and, and guys like that will do. He keeps everything tight. Uh, what I like, he just touches until there's an opening, and then he throws his hard shots. Not the hardest hitter, but you know he's got plus power. I like that he works the body. The issue is I haven't seen much offensive grappling, and he, he, he does need to improve his take defense. It's not great, but it's not. Uh, I think this is a fantastic matchup. I'm glad it's on the main card. I like both guys. Uh, Grant is definitely the more well-rounded fighter, but Marcos is probably the better striker. The, the reason why I made faces is I thought Grant was going to be a big favorite. I thought he was going to be like a two-to-one favorite. And that really surprised me based on who he's beaten recently and the run he's on. Um, you know, he's guy who's been higher up the card than than uh, Marcos has been at this point. So I thought I was going edge, edgy, and I thought I was picking an upset. Uh, I'm going Marcos. I think he's a better striker. I think he gets it done. He, he's going to have to stuff some takedowns. Grant's going to usually put him in the best position he can to win the fight. But I, 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 I think he's too quick for Grant. I think he's, he, he's he, you know, he's he's a sniper. I think he's going to catch Grant for majority of the fight. But Grant's so tough, so I think Grant makes it to the card. So give me Marcos by decision. Yeah, I I feel as though on this card, there there have been several fights where our analysis is pretty similar, but just our pick for the actual outcome is different. Because I, I feel the exact same way about how these guys match up. Uh, you know, Marcos's strengths versus Grant's well-roundedness. I also have the question in my mind of, well, is this the fight where at 37 Grant really starts to slip? Because again, as of the Asun and Smolka fights, you know, within the last 12 to 14 months, he's fighting as well as he ever has in his entire career. Yeah. Like, you know, he's not he's not the guy anymore that was losing to Damian Stasiak and Chris Holdsworth. No. Uh, you know, early in early in his career. He's one and one against Marlon Vera. You know, he's knocked out Jonathan Martinez. Like that's good way. He's He's barely over. He's barely over 500 in the UFC, but it's almost a mini version of Michael Johnson, where he has the peak wins of a top ten fighter, and then he has just some some ugly losses. But in his case, it's not inconsistency. It's just a very gradual climb in in quality. Uh, so anyway, there's the the question of well, is this where Grant finally starts to decline? And on the flip side. Are we going to see Marcos, who just barely turned 30, make significant strides in you know his second UFC fight? He's finally stepped up to a higher level of competition. He was not fighting the best competition uh in in South America. Like he I think he won a title in 300 Sparta, which is Peru's top promotion, but not great. I say as someone who who watched a lot of <laughs> of their fights over the years, he he could make huge strides forward. And it wouldn't be that surprising. But for me, assuming he's not physically eroded or compromised, Grant's chances of winning depend on him being savvy and doing the smart thing. And at that po- at this point, I do trust Grant to do that. Uh, I Grant likes to be in exciting fights, but he loves to win. I, I think he's going to be smart enough to take Marcos down or at least establish the threat of the takedown early and hopefully give Marcos something else to think about. Uh, give me, give me grant to win a decision here in a very fun fight that will leave the 
hometown crowd ecstatic and uh, get us primed for that main card. The six-fight main card of UFC London begins with a featherweight matchup between Leron Murphy and Josh Kulabau. Murphy, the 31-year-old Englishman, is 12-0-1 as a professional mixed martial artist. He's 4-0-1 in the UFC. He had a draw with Zabira Takugov in his UFC debut back in 2019. Since then, he is 4-0, plowing through Ricardo Hamos, Douglas Silva de Andrade, Maquan Amarkani, and Gabriel Santos. The most recent of those, the Santos win, was a split decision at UFC 286 back in March. So he's looking to make it five wins in a row, six-fight unbeaten streak, remain undefeated as a professional, and uh, he'll get try to get it done against Koulibau. The 29-year-old Australian is 11-1-1 overall. He's 3-1-1 in the UFC. Worth noting that he's 3-1-1 in the UFC. He's 3-0-1 at featherweight. He made his debut at lightweight and as if just to underscore the difference between the two weight divisions, they made him fight Jalen Turner. That didn't go so hot for him. Since then, he has a draw against Charles Jordan and then three straight wins over uh, Sha Yilan, Sung Woo Choi, and Melsic Bagdasarian. The most recent of those, the Bagdasarian fight, was in February at UFC 284. So uh, he's looking to build on some considerable momentum of his own. And uh, he is not favored to do so, but the odds are fairly close. Murphy is minus 150, Kulabau plus 120 as the underdog. Keith, it's interesting the parallels and contrast between these two guys. Because in Murphy, and I know part of it is because he has that one draw on his record, but it's hard for me to think of an undefeated fighter who has remained undefeated in the UFC and flown as hard under the radar as Leron Murphy has. Yeah. And then in Kulabau, this is, this is a guy that I, at least I'm not going to blame anybody else, but I prematurely and unfairly wrote off based on stepping up and fighting Jalen freaking Turner. (laughs) Uh, But ever since then he has proven to be much better than I thought he was and continuing to get better from fight to fight to the point where 145 is one of the divisions where you have to do the most to even scare the bottom of the rankings. But the winner of this fight is getting into the conversation. Uh, (laughs) They're, they're at least like it's, and it's something else. Those are the similarities. Both these guys have really flown under the radar compared to what they've accomplished. The, distinctions are everything else like Kulabau presents as not particularly strong not particularly athletic not there aren't many 145 pounders with a muffin top in the UFC (laughs) well not male there aren't many male ones there are plenty of female 145 pounders with a muffin top Uh, how many times do you tell people at a bar that he's an MMA fighter and they're like yeah whatever yeah okay share buddy and then they walk away are that what you do to try to pick up girls though you say (laughs) yeah whereas like Murphy looks like a mixed martial artist from a movie. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, you see him walking out to the octagon, you see him at an open workout and you're like, Oh, duh, that real, real MMA fighters are, are, aren't that like ripped. That ripped. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, does Kulabau continue to flaunt, uh, to flaunt the eyeball test and, and, and shock the world here? Or does Murphy stand defeated? Something's got to give. Yes, it's, 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 or, or by uh, saying that, did I just doom us to a draw? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, everything you said about, uh, you know, Murphy, he's a, he's a good athlete. He moves really well. He flows between stances very well. Uh, he's technically sound. I like his volume. Uses feints to set up his shots well. Uh, he's got very boxing defense where you kind of shoulder rolls to avoid strikes, which, you know, is not my favorite, but uh, he's, you know, technically sound. He fights behind a jab. I like that he doubles it up. Uh, he's, he's accurate. He holds back his power and just touches when there's an opening. Uh, I like that he works the body with hard hooks. He's extremely intelligent, especially in the in the striking sense. Uh, you know, he he faints. You know, he in his in his fight against uh, Mahmoud Americani, like he fainted a punch to throw a knee to time. You know, knock out Americani because he, you know you kept shooting on him and timing things, just things like that, picking up time. Uh, large kicking game, blast the body with kicks, especially from the opposite stance when he's going against opponents. So if he's like southpaw, the opponent's orthodoxy is blasting the body or vice versa. Uh, good calf kicks. He can wrestle. Uh, he, he's got a little bit of, you know, some sub game in him. He almost caught two off in a guillotine. Uh, though he, 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 I say that because that, that was almost a big win, but he doesn't have a submission on his career. Uh, if he's on top, he's got some really good ground and pound. He, he knocked out Hokkaido Hamas with some mean ground and pound. The one huge concern, especially in this fight, is he needs to improve his takedown defense a little bit. And it's a – you know me. I respect wrestling so much. I don't, I, I don't want to say it's an easy fix, but one major thing he does is an easy fix. He pillars his defense. He has a very boxing style. So if he's throwing punches, he, he, he you know turtles underneath and pillars. And that opens up for takedown because you're not looking at your opponent. Uh, that's something we, I saw in his last fight. He was giving up easy takedowns. Uh, to his credit, it, it, he's, he did really, you know, um, showed some improved get-up game against Gabriel Santos. Like, he struggled to get off the bottom against Tukov and Americani early, but against Santos, it was much better. Uh, another concern is because, like, you talked about how ripped up he is. Uh, he, I've seen him gas a little late, and that won't be the case. Like, Kubala won't gas. Kubala is like everything like you mentioned, everything opposite of Murphy. He's not a great athlete. But he, he's pretty technically sound. He can he can fight out of both stances. He's he's got good volume. He's a pressure striker. He moves well. He throws straight shots down the pipe. Underrated power. I mean, he almost knocked out Charles Jordan. Uh, good kicking game, particular to the body. He does check leg kicks, which I like. He can wrestle a little bit. Uh, he is a he's a weaker defensive wrestler, and he str- he struggled off the bottom. But he caught a nice sub against you know he didn't have a sub in his career. Then he caught Melsic Bagdasarian in, in his last fight. If you asked me a year ago, I would have laughed, you know, saying this is a mismatch and Murphy's going to blow him out. But Kulabao, as you mentioned, he's much better than I've given him credit for. I'm still taking Murphy because he's the better athlete. He hits harder. But he's going to have to improve uh, his take on us. This might be one of these fights where I picked Murphy in 10 you know, not 10 seconds, but like a minute and a half to the fight. I'm, I'm just regretting it because, you know, uh, Kulabao's pressing the action, dropping under when – when Murphy's covering up and he just, you know, uses intelligence and wins, wins a match. But I think Murphy's going to be just a little bit better. I think he's going to sneak out a very close decision. Give me Murphy by decision. Yeah, this is uh, one of the harder fights on the card for me to, to call. Uh, well, I mean, actually, it's the hardest fight on the card for me to call where both fighters are good. Like there, yeah, are, yeah. there are a couple where they just feel like a coin <laughs> yeah. flip because they're both just unknowns yeah. or just neither of them's all that good. And so- that is such a good point. So shout out to anybody who does pretty and there's gazillions of them out there. Uh, 
but if if you're if you're watching the show and you want to do podcasting, I'll tell you right now, the big fights are not the hard ones to pick. Nope. It's the crappy the guys who and we say crappy like relative. This is still UFC talent, right? Like, you get what I'm saying? Like the low level, you're 100. They're harder to pick. Yeah. Than, than like the guys. I mean, uh, Alex Pereira and Jan Blahovich are fighting in, in a couple weeks. I I could okay. go right now. Yeah, I could I, I could go I, I could go for ten minutes right now, and I might yeah. revise a few things after tape study. But you give me two dudes I've never seen before, or just two that I have seen, and they're just not good. So I have to yeah. I have to pick I have to pick who's going to make a bad mistake first or gas like that's the nightmare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Murphy versus Kulabau is as hard a fight to call on this card where yeah. both fighters are good. And, and real quick, credit to those guys. Like when we make. We, we have a, a fight that isn't uh, the most technical. We'll make jokes about it. Credit to those guys who are dead serious the whole time when they when they, when they they do a preview show. They don't make any jokes, right? They're just so business. Like, we'll at least have some fun with the, with the low-level yeah. guys. And we, we're previewing hundreds and hundreds of fights a year. If we pretend they're all great, that blunts the the impact of it when we're talking about a fight that is yeah. great, both coming out of our skin about it. Like, uh, yeah, we're adding Martin a little bit. Oh, what a! I'm so excited for 12 fights of action. <laughs> I wish it were 12 fights of action. It's yeah. 15. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyway, uh, the yeah, like I, I, the the big the big question mark to me is if Murphy gets tired first, and if he does get tired first. Is it early enough that Kulabau can capitalize? Like, does he get tired in the second round and Kulabau starts taking over? Does he get tired in the third and Kulabau's all over him? It was an eye opener to see how opportunistic Kulabau was against Bagdasarian. The the nice thing about Kulabau, on top of all the other overachieving stuff he does, is uh, in his wins, he has tended to control the fight to his best advantage, uh, at least when it counted. The first round of the Bagdasarian fight, like. He hung around on the feet too much. He got hurt a bunch. He got hit to the body and to the nuts, which I guess are part of the body, but you, you know what I mean. Uh, but clearly came out for the second round knowing he needed to get the thing to the ground, and he did it. And once it was there, he took Bagdasarian's back in a flash, got a nasty choke. It would really just take Murphy getting tired or making one or two big mistakes, and Kulabau was all over him. Uh, in terms of the the physical tools and the individual skills, Murphy is theoretically better everywhere, but a lot of those intangibles uh, favor Kulabau, and that feels weird to say about someone in Murphy who is still an undefeated fighter. Uh, I'm this close to picking Kulabau to hand Murphy his first loss, but on top of everything else, if this goes the distance, I bet it's going to come down to like a couple of really close rounds. Like I could see the second and third rounds being really close. And the fact that this is going to be in a deafening O2 arena can only help Murphy in that regard. If we're in the apex, maybe I'd be more comfortable taking the slight upset here. But give me Murphy to win a close and perhaps even contentious decision uh, in front of an ecstatic London crowd. The UFC Fight Night 224 main card powers on with a lightweight matchup between Jai Herbert and Ferez Zayam. 
Herbert, the 35-year-old uh, from West Midlands, is 12-4-1 overall. He is 2-3-1 since joining the UFC as the former Cage Warriors lightweight champ. He is coming off a draw. It was a majority draw against Ludovic Klein at UFC 286 back in March. Uh, prior to that, he had not fought since last July when he took a unanimous decision over Kyle Nelson. That one was also in London. And his last fight before that was a second-round TKO at the hands of Ilya Taporia that was also in London. So this will be his fourth straight fight in London. I'm not sure whether he's got visa issues that make him unable to leave the United Kingdom, but yeah, we're talking about four straight fights uh, in, in England for Herbert. Uh, he'll look to get back in the win column here against uh, Ziam. The 26-year-old Frenchman is 13-4 and four overall. He is 2-2 two and two in the UFC. He is coming off a win. He fought most recently back in September at UFC Fight Night Gone versus Tuivasa, where he won a unanimous decision over Michal Figlak. That allowed him to wash the taste of a first-round submission loss to Terrence McKinney out of his mouth. And here he'll look to make it two wins in a row. He is ever so slightly favored to do so. Uh, Zayam, minus 120. Herbert is available, even money, plus 100. Keith, uh... It is a weird aberration that Jai Herbert never seems to get to fight outside of uh, England. I don't know if it's like Gunnar Nelson where it's by choice or that's just what the UFC sees him as. Uh, I like that he's still in the UFC because if I squint real hard, it feels like my, my buddy Mike Jackson is still in the UFC since they're basically dead ringers for each other. But that's beside the point. Uh, who gets it done here between the reliable veteran Herbert or the uh, still intriguing to me young prospect in Zayam? Yeah, this this is a this is a good card, uh, you know, and this is one of the best fights on the card. Um, Herbert, uh, Herbert, he he's just he's so big. Like he's a big dude for the weight class. He's a good athlete. He moves well. He's an outside kickboxer who really wants to work from range. Uh, yeah, I like his jab. He's got a crisp jab. He follows with pistons down the pipe. I like when he gets inside. He looks for slicing elbows. He's got power in both of his hands. He, he dropped Francisco Trinaldo. He knocked out Kama Worthy. Uh, good kicking game, uh, especially his high kick. Uh, he he does need to learn to check leg kicks. Kyle Nelson had success against him in, in that. Uh, he's an underrated wrestler. I, I like that he gets the clinch. He looks for foot sweeps. He's got some good back takes. He's a good grappler. Uh, I like that he gets a body triangle that he uses his long legs. He's a weak defensive wrestler. Um, I mean, I go back to like the Hanato Moikano. Moikano took it down uh, so easily. But, you know, that's Moikano. Moikano so good. Uh, we do have to worry about his shin as, as Taporio knocked him out dead. Uh, Zayam, he's he's a long and lengthy, good kickboxer, uh, competed in K1. He's a distance striker, uses length and good footwork to kind of keep the distance. He didn't like, despite all that, he didn't like Jamie Lockett crashing the pocket on and pressure him, so he definitely wants to work from space. He's accurate. He's got a very good power jab. Uh, not the hardest hitter, um, more of a guy just kind of touches and, and works. Uh, he he kind of fights behind a high guard. He stands a little tall for my liking and lacks head movement, but he's got a fantastic kick game. Great calf kicks, very powerful, uh, loves the flying knee. Uh, despite his kickboxing background, he will wrestle a little bit. He's, he's not the best wrestler, uh, but his takedown defense has come a really long way. Uh, decent hip control, good at keeping his hips moving. When he was taking on against Jamie Lock, he did sweep him. And uh, against a guy like Terrence Manning, Kinney, he quickly tapped him out on the ground. Um, 
This is a good fight. You know, um, Herbert, I, I've always thought he's better than he showed in the UFC. Like, I think he's solid, and I, and I think uh, Zion is too. I flip-flopped on this one a little bit. Uh, Herbert has the power advantage and probably the overall wrestling advantage, but Zion is definitely the bigger submission guy. He's a longer, rangier guy. Uh, he, I'm picking Zion because he's a more technically sound guy. I, I think he lays some jabs on him. I think he kicks Herbert, stuffs enough takedowns. And uh, I think he wins a decision. Yeah, this is another tough one to pick. The good thing about this fight is that there's a good chance that each guy is going to oblige the other with a distance kickboxing match. My my guess would be, you know, because these are both guys that clearly want to fight, uh, you know, outside and have had mixed results when someone has forced a different fight, a different range on them than that. But here, both guys want the same thing. And my guess would be, at least for the first round and a half, if there are any takedown attempts, it's because someone is really getting the worst of things on the feet and they've gone to not not just a plan B, but maybe to like plan C or D. Uh, so it should make for like a fun striking battle for as long as that part of it lasts. The question to me is, if and when it, it goes there, whom does it favor? And you pointed out about Herbert, He's probably a better offensive than uh, than defensive wrestler. Uh, of course, you could say that about eighty percent of uh, British fighters. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, when was the last time we had a, a really really great uh, takedown defense from a from a, a British fighter, uh, Michael Bisping? No. <laughs> See, I, I, uh, well, he, he had a, he had a good Leon. get up game. He could be taken down, but he had he had a good get up game. Um, maybe Leon Edwards. I mean, yeah. no, that's, probably, that's probably more offensive than D. I mean. His second fight against Usman was pretty good. His first yeah. fight wasn't, but yeah, second fight maybe maybe Edwards. Yeah, but I mean, by and large, like England gives a, a lot of fighters. We're you know we're like he's a he's a surprisingly good offensive wrestler, but you know defensive wrestling still a liability. Uh, I agree with you that if they're striking at range, Herbert has uh, probably the advantage in in pop per strike. But I don't envision either guy getting hurt really bad by the other on the feet. It, it probably is going to feel a little point kickboxing like at range for as long as, uh, you know, they decide to do that. If things go to the ground, it, yeah, it's a matter of who takes it there. And I don't know who, who it'll be, but I'm, I'm, actually, I'm leaning as I am here, same as you are. You know, I, I could see as I am mixing it up with uh, takedowns as a strategic move uh, at various points in the fight where I think if Herbert does, it'll probably be because he got hurt. Um, that makes me lean towards Ziam as well. I don't think we're probably seeing a finish here uh, unless they get in some extended sequences on the ground and Ziam's better grappling uh, comes to bear, but give me Ziam by decision in, in a pretty fun fight. Next up on the UFC London main card, you know, if Brian Barbarena was really bent on trying his luck at moving up from 170 to 185 pounds, if he, if he really thought that was the best remedy for his uh, his recent career woes, I think the UFC should have matched him up against fellow middleweight newcomer Paul Craig just to give him a taste of, of what it could be like uh, in terms of physical matchups. Uh, it is, of course, Paul Craig making his middleweight debut against Andre Muniz here. Craig, the... Long-time 
light heavyweight curiosity, then longtime light heavyweight fringe contender on the back of back-to-back -back losses at 205 pounds has decided to move down in weight. Uh, this will be his first try. As it is right now, he is 16-6-1 overall. He is 8-6-1 in the UFC. As I mentioned, he's coming off of back-to-back -back losses. Those would be uh, last July against Volkan Uzdemir, where he dropped a unanimous decision. And then in January against Johnny Walker, where he was knocked out early in the first round. Prior to that, he had been on a six-fight unbeaten streak that had seen him enter the top 10 and against all preconceptions you know, maybe be just another win or two away from the title picture. But uh, he decided that he saw greener pastures down a weight class, and that's what we're going to see here. Uh, he'll be facing an established middleweight who is also looking for a bit of redemption in the form of Muniz. The 33-year-old Brazilian, 23-5 and five overall, 5-1 five and one in the UFC since joining as a uh, two-time veteran of Dana White's Contender Series. He debuted in the UFC back in 2019, promptly rattled off five straight wins, including an all-time eye-opener of a submission, snapping the arm of uh, Ronaldo Jacare Souza, and fighting his way into the top 10, and within a fight or two probably of a title shot at middleweight, before running into Brendan Allen in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 220 this February. Uh the resurgent Allen choked Mooney's out in the third round. Uh, so Mooney is looking to bounce back here, looking to give Craig an unhealthy uh, welcome to his new division. And he is favored to do so. Mooney's is minus 200, Craig plus 170. Keith, I don't want to put you on the spot about a fight that we haven't previewed yet. Okay. But of the three notable weight division changes on this card which is the worst idea barbarina <laughs> up the middleweight craig down the middleweight oh, or julius dolyarenko down the flyweight wow <laughs> wow um i want to say stolyarenko because she might die like she she has she missed weight at 135 and like passed out on the <laughs> after yep. weighing in uh, like, like she should move up to 145, not not, not the opposite. Um, but the, the the point remains: like all three of them are just poor decisions. As you were talking, I was just thinking, how great would the UFC be? Like, like all right, let's rearrange this these middleweight matchups for a second. Like, let put Muniz versus Maradov. Give me Barbarino versus Craig. How yeah. great would that be? <laughs> Craig going down, Barbarino going up. It's a bench stylistic matchup for Craig for sure. <laughs> it would look and it would look ridiculous. I just I love when guys change weight. You make this point a lot, but they change weight and then they go against like like one of the biggest guys in the division. Like they drop down. Like yeah. Mooney's is built like a light heavyweight. He's a huge dude. I, I always go back to that Uriah Hall fight when he makes Uriah Hall look small. I mean, he was bigger than Brendan Allen. We know how big Brendan Allen is. Mm -hmm. uh, Muniz is a is he's a good athlete. His striking has come a long way. I mean, go back to Uriah Hall fight. He he was out striking Uriah Hall, and 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 I know that you know, some of that has to do with Muniz being such a jujitsu artist that people are worried about his takedowns, entries that it sets up his striking. Uh, he you know his defense he's, he pillars a little bit. Uh, I do like his kicking game. He throws a lot of kicks. Uh, all of 
striking is to close the distance. He's really good at using his forward pressure to push his opponents back to the cage uh, and, and get a takedown. He's got some beautiful inside trips. I, I like his entries. Very strong at just kind of picking up his opponent up and slamming them with it the canvas. He's a great BJJ practitioner, good good smother in top game, serious threat for submissions. I mean, he broke Jock Ray's arm. That's all you need to know. Uh, Brendan Allen, I, I, I don't know if he looked past him or – I really thought Muniz was going to roll Brandon Allen, and obviously it didn't happen. He ended up getting submitted late. Uh, I just watching that feels like an like the outlier than than the norm to me. Now, if he gets submitted by Paul Craig, then that's completely different. Now, Paul Craig is, I mean, he's he's a terrible athlete. He's he's a terrible striker. He's an ugly technique. He's got no power. Now, maybe he'll have some power in middleweight, but at light heavy, we had no power. Uh, He's, he, he completely abandoned his striking. It's fucking news to me. He's like, oh, I'm not going to throw punches. I'm just going to try to get the fight down to the ground every minute. He, he throws decent kicks from distance, but he doesn't set them up at all. He's open to get blasted. He's very easy to hit. He keeps his chin high in the air. He's taken tons of damage over the years. He, he wants to get to the fight to the ground, but the problem is he, he isn't a wrestler. He's one of these guys. He hopes to catch a kick or just some kind of scramble. He'll pull guard. He'll Imanari roll. Uh, he pulled Usamir right into the mount, you know. He is a submission threat from the guard. He, I've said this in the past. He has a very like hoist Gracie early UFC days where guard is God is a weapon for him. Where being on bottom is an advantage, and he can kind of get subs everywhere. But he's a guy he can lose every minute of the fight and then find a sub. But the problem is he take he he's eats so many shots, and I just don't trust his chin anymore. I mean, Usamir was hurting him, and Usamir. You know, it's not the the heavy hitter that he gets credit for. And then Johnny Walker knocked him into next week. And stylistically, I think this is a terrible stylistic matchup for Craig. I I just, I just can't imagine him winning. I think Winnie's is better than him everywhere. He's a better athlete. Uh, he's a better striker. I think he's a better wrestler. I think he's the better grappler. I see Winnie's battering Craig. Craig doing something like pulling guard and, and Winnie's being on top and just beating him up with shots. Uh, and I actually think he's going to submit Craig. I think he's going to hurt him. Craig's going to make a mistake, and it's in Muniz is going to grab something, whether it's a, his throat, whether it's an arm. Um, I see Muniz winning probably pretty late, like third round submission. Now you you said you said the betting line, like I, what was it? You said like negative two hundred or something. Yep. Is that what you said? Negative two hundred. Yep. Minus two hundred yep. plus one seventy. Yeah, that's not big enough. Nope. Muniz should be like negative four hundred. So, you know, this is a betting advice one, but, like, I love that line. Jump on that immediately. Like, I would bet on Muniz at negative 200. Completely agree. Uh, and, I, I mean, I said something similar about the Murata versus Barbarena fight where I, I was surprised that the line was only as big as it was just because – What was that one? Do you remember? I mean, that one was bigger. Murata was, like, minus 275. Yeah, put them together. Parlay them. Put both of them because, together. Parlay. And it's for the same reason because – it's not like Muradov is this, you know, he's he's not Superman or RoboCop or something, but just the ways that Brian Barbarina beats people don't match up well with Muradov's problems. Like here, it's even more so because Paul Craig, for the most part, I mean, he he wrote it to remarkable success, but for the most part, his win still requires opponent to make a mistake. Uh, he will. I, he will yes. always have yeah. in his back pocket that he tapped out Magomed Ankalaev with one minute left in a fight or one second left in a fight where he had lost 
literally every minute of the fight up to that point. Same thing happened with Kennedy's Echiquiu, uh, you know. He's uh, Jamal Hill. Yeah. And, and you know what? That one, they run that fight 10 times. It looks like that once. Like the, the main problem is that the armbar attempt like jacked up Hill's arm. Uh, like, yeah, it's just. And I, I don't want to take away from him because Craig is one of our guys, you know, like he's the oh, guy. He's, that's been, he's fucking yeah, awesome. He's Paul fucking Craig. He's yeah, he's he's, he's going. He's going in your Hall of Fame. Oh, sure absolutely. Hall Paul of fucking awesome. Awesome. He's awesome. Yeah, he, just, he just he, he fights in 2023, not 1993. It's it is cool that he's been able to make this style work and really light heavyweight and heavyweight are really the only divisions where somebody could have done this. I mean, he's in, in some ways, it's not an exact comparison, but he's the Alexi Olenek of light heavyweight. We're just, this style shouldn't be this successful, you know, at this level, but it is. Uh, but here, yeah, this is bad because Andre Muniz is better everywhere. And there's no indication that he's going to make the kind of mistake or fatigue in the way that Craig needs in order to get that Hail Mary. Like, Mooney's got tapped out by Allen, but it's not because he made a single mistake, and it's not because he gassed out. It's because Allen took it to him and just put on, like, a shockingly good performance. That was more about Allen looking great and Mooney's maybe having an off night. That same version of Mooney's that maybe had an off night against Allen still trucks Paul Craig. And here... I'm I'm with you. Craig is now 35 years old. He's taken a ton of damage because his path to victory involves taking a ton of damage a lot of the time. And he's dropping 20 pounds that I don't know where he's going to find it. So now you have to worry even more about his chin. Uh I think this is I think this is probably over quickly. Uh Craig has just kind of shut down when he doesn't like the power he's getting on, on the feet, you mentioned the, uh, you mentioned the, uh, what's his name? The Swiss guy, the Vulcan Uzdemir fight. I think Muniz comes out, puts hands on Craig. Uh, you know, Craig is his hands and feet are so slow, even at two Oh five that people could always get inside on him. I think Muniz crashes the pocket, busts him up with punches. Uh, Muniz probably takes him down at will shucks off, a triangle or armbar attempt and starts hurting him on the ground. I think this thing is over and around whether Mooney's like just pounds him out from guard or pounds him out until Craig turns his, his back and then jumps on the submission. I think that this thing's over quickly. Give me Mooney's by first round TKO. Third from the top at UFC fight night 224 is a featherweight matchup between Nathaniel Wood and Andre Feely. Wood, the 29-year-old London native, is 19 and 5 overall. He is 6 and 2 in the UFC. Worth noting that he is 2 and 0 at featherweight. Uh, he fought early on at 135 pounds, made the decision to move up to 145, and since then he is perfect with back-to-back -back unanimous decision wins over Charles Rosa and Charles Jordan. He had been scheduled to fight uh, on the last London card, UFC 286, in March. He was supposed to take on his countryman, uh, Murphy, in fact, in what would have been a weird case of the UFC smashing two of its best prospects in the same division together. But uh, the gods would not have it. Wood, ironically, uh, cut himself wide open on some wood. There was some like uh, 
unprotected edge of uh, molding or something near one of their mats. He gave himself a horrible gash that forced him out of that fight. He's now healed up. He is back. And he has what, according to the odd makers at least, is an easier assignment in the form of Feely. 33-year-old American is 22-9 and nine with one no contest overall. He's 10-8 and eight with one no contest in the UFC. He's coming in off of a win. Uh, he took a split decision over Bill Aljo back last September at UFC Fight Night Sanhagen versus Song. Prior to that, he'd had a pretty uh, rough run, so he is back in the win column, wants to stay that way, is a moderate underdog to do so. He is plus 150. Wood is out there around minus 190. Uh, Keith, Nathaniel Wood uh, quietly climbing the ranks in his new division. Yeah. Do, you, do you see... Uh, serious, legit upside for the what is he? Uh, twenty, yeah, twenty-nine year old in this 29. new division. And uh, how do you think prospect. this fight goes? Hey, you know <laughs> the prospect. Twenty-nine. Years He's the, that. Why take a, a nickname that you know is not going to age well? Yeah, the young assassin. Um, Meanwhile, the man's like forty-four years old right now and hadn't yeah. assassinated anything but a buffet in about <laughs> eight years. Yeah. I've seen him at Ponderosa a couple of times. <laughs> that's why um, there are no Ponderosas in Louisiana now. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, <laughs> that's why they're all in Michigan, getting away from the young assassin. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I like Wood. You know, he's 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 looked really good at moving up to 145. He's looked faster at mm -hmm. 145. He's he, he is undersized, but his speed is there. Uh, he's a very composed, accurate striker. Uh, very crisp. Uh, he. he yeah, he does things differently when he strikes. Like he's a guy who leads with his power right hand, uh, which which is rare. Like you know, his first punches is is his, his power right. Uh, he he avoids shots with shoulder rolls. Uh, I like his teep kicks up the middle. He mixes punches and kicks together well. Uh, you go back to the Charles Rosa fight. He destroyed Charles Rosa with calf kicks. Uh, he, underrated wrestler. He, he likes to get like body locked, looks for trips. Uh, he also can shoot through the hips on the outside. Some slick BJJ game. We've seen that. Uh, he's a submission threat. He has five subs on his record. But this is a true test. Andre Feely is, you know, being Andre Feely is always, you know, a, a good test for anybody. He's a, a counter striker that can fight at both stances. He's technically sound. Uh, he feints well to set up his counter strikes. He's got some fast hands. He also has a crisp jab. Uh, he's, he's a guy that does really well to um, – he can strike while backing up. And, and, and you know, his fade-back counters are, are, like, the best part of his game. Uh, he he's you know a bigger guy for the division. He has some plus power, really good kicking game, especially his high kick. He loves that Robert Whitaker dip into one side, throw the high kick on the other side. Uh, you know, team alpha male guy, so you know he can wrestle. Not not the best top control, and he isn't a submission threat. And he struggles to get off the get off the bottom. Uh, you know, guys like Sadiq Yusuf and Bryce Mitchell had some success holding him down. But you know, his he's he's opportunistic. He'll get a takedown to win rounds and stuff. But you have to worry about his chin. I mean, he was recently knocked out by Joanna Sombrito. So uh, I know I sound like a broken record, but this is another good matchup. Uh, I think Feely should try to turn this into a wrestling match because on the feet, I, I do think, you know, he, Wood is smaller than him, but he's, I think he's going to be quicker than him. Uh, I think I think we have a lot of kicks from both these guys, but um, I really like Wood's kicking game. Feely is so tough, so I think he makes the decision. But I'm I'm gonna go. 
I'm gonna go with Wood. I'm gonna say he still continues to have success in the upper weight class. I think he's, um, you know, being in his home country and everything. I think he's gonna get popped in the crowd. Just, he seems like a guy that rises in in, in the moment and, and kind of feeds off the crowd. So give me Wood by his decision. Yeah, I would love to be able to pick out like scenarios or avenues where you might be wrong, but mostly because like I like rooting for Feely. Like, it's just, it's cool that he's been in the UFC for as long as he has and has, you know, kind of stuck around. He's actually made incremental improvements over the years, but just all the most likely outcomes really favor Wood here. Uh, I have liked that in the last couple of years, Feely has become more willing to turn to his wrestling. You know, he's always had, I don't want to say underrated, just underused wrestling. Uh, and, you know, maybe five or six years at Team Alpha Male at this point have made him more willing to turn to that. But here, that's not going to make him any more likely to to win this fight. Uh, Wood is one of those rare Brits where, like, the 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 takedown defense is actually uh, pretty solid as well. Yeah, just I, I expect Wood to win a workmanlike decision here where the fight is contested mostly on the feet and he's just faster and has more pop and is able to navigate Feely's reach advantage without too much trouble. And yeah, the workmanlike decision where he just wins 30, 27, all three rounds are individually competitive, but there's no question who's in charge of the fight. Uh, but the crowd at the O2 arena just makes it sound like he just won whatever sporting thing is important to British people. The co-main event of UFC London is a women's flyweight matchup between Meatball Molly McCann and Yulia Stolyarenko. McCann, the 30-year-old from Liverpool, is 13-5 and overall. She is 6-4 and since joining the UFC as a former Cage Warriors flyweight champ. She lost her last time out. Uh, she appeared at UFC 281 in uh, New York, where she was completely dominated on the ground by Aaron Blanchfield on the way to a first round submission. Prior to that, uh, she had been on a three fight win streak, including two spinning back elbow uh, knockouts. One of which was uh, on the short list for sure dogs knockout of the year last year. In fact, it might've won. I don't remember, but uh, yeah, her spinning back elbow of Luana Carolina, but uh, those three wins in a row, two of which actually were all three of them. At least the last two were in the UK. Uh, transformed her from a reliable action fighter with a hard ceiling into uh, one of the UK's most popular active fighters. The competitive side of it came to a crashing halt against Blanchfield, but there's no question that stepping back into the O2 arena on Saturday, her star power in front of the British crowd will be undiminished. She'll look to get back on track competitively against Stolyarenko. The 30-year-old Lithuanian is 10-7-2 overall. She is a dismal 1-4 in the UFC since joining as a former Invicta Bantamweight champ. Uh, her last fight was actually contested at a planned catchweight of 140 pounds. She was pounded out late in the first round by Chelsea Chandler. Her only win in uh, the UFC in five tries was a uh, first round armbar of Jesse Clark last July. Aside from that, it's been all bad news uh, for the woman from Lithuania. 
she's going to look to right the ship here, but uh, she is not favored to do so, to put it mildly. McCann is minus 350. Stolyarenko plus 250. Uh, I... Oh, this is bad, man. On the one hand, I don't blame the UFC one bit because what were you and I screaming when the UFC made the McCann versus Blanchfield fight. Why would the UFC do this? Why yeah, would this you is exactly do, what they should do. Why would you do anything with Molly McCann other than put her in winnable fights in the UK? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, this is in the UK, and it is the very definition of a winnable fight because while McCann has been taken advantage of on the ground before, you know, it is her, her biggest single weakness probably. Yeah. It's only been by good fighters on the ground. Aaron Blanchfield is a prodigy on the ground. And then her other submission loss to Jillian Robertson. One, it was five years ago. Two, Jillian Robertson is very good on the ground. And three, McCann is better than that fighter. Now, I think if she fought Robertson today, it might be a different fight. But nothing that happened in either of those two fights indicates to me that she's going to be in much trouble from Stolyarenko because the main problem with Stolyarenko isn't just that she's a grappling specialist. She's kind of a one technique specialist. Uh, she doesn't have the positional acumen of Blanchfield where there was, once they were on the ground, there was nowhere for McCann to go. Yeah. Blanchfield at any moment, you could pause it. Blanchfield knows the three ways McCann can go. She has an answer for all of them. And McCann was just doomed. Uh, she doesn't have the acumen of a Robertson where she, Robertson was, able to chain from one submission to the next, take McCann's back and choke her out. Stolyarenko has arm bars with precious little setup. Uh, she punches hard, but to me, kind of punches ugly. Uh, does not have a takedown game. Like, she's not terribly athletic, and she's got the Mackenzie Dern takedown game of where if she really wants to take you down, she just kind of runs at you, bent at the waist, and tries to run you into the fence and hope something good happens. Like and not even as good as Dern in those situations. At 135, she was big and strong by the standards of the division. She should presumably still be that at 125. But that comes up against the other problem. I, I don't know how she's going to look at 125 if she's going to make it at all. I know. But hell, even if they let her weigh in at 135 and McCann at 125, it would still be Stolyarenko trying to either run McCann to the fence and find a takedown somewhere there or just pull guard and try for a lightning quick arm bar. McCann at this point is definitely motivated to give the hometown crowd a big fun fight, but she's not yeah. stupid. Like she, she's, she's not like McCann is not dumb. Uh, she's a well-coached fighter from a solid camp. She knows exactly what Stolyarenko needs to do. And if she, Punches Stolyarenko. Stolyarenko goes down, plays possum, and hopes McCann dives into her guard. My guess is McCann just stand, stands up and goes like this. If Stolyarenko grabs an arm and tries to drag her down and, you know, pull a guard and go for an armbar, I think McCann probably does everything she can to just wrench her arm out. Like, she's not dumb. Stolyarenko's routes to victory would involve McCann doing something unconscionably stupid. I don't see it happening. The only question to me is whether Stolyarenko makes it to the final bell because the... Year of spinning back elbows aside, McCann was never as huge a puncher as the UFC booth no. would like you to believe. But I do think she's going to put a beating on Stolyarenko just in terms of accumulated damage. Uh, I think 
worst case scenario, we get some like 3026 looking fight where Stolyarenko just looks like she's been run over by a truck. More likely would be a TKO stoppage in the late rounds as Stolyarenko probably gasses due to the huge weight cut. Uh, I hope McCann doesn't just go out there heedlessly looking for another spinning back elbow knockout because that's the one thing she could do that might give Stolyarenko a chance to get the fight to the ground on her terms. But I'm not guessing that happens. Uh, give me McCann. I'm going to say second round TKO and a pretty bad drubbing along the way. Crowd yeah. goes wild. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I'm i not mad at the UFC for making this matchup at all. This is exactly no. what I like this is fantastic. Put her on the co-main event in London. They, someone finally listened and did the right thing. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to Molly McCann's entrance. Like I, 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 I love that big moments. Uh, you know, I love the character that she is. It's a lot of fun. You just want to I, see how fat Patty Pimlet's head is behind her. Like, yeah. <laughs> I love the crowd singing and all this stuff. Uh, I, I love Molly as a person. You know, uh, I've interviewed her a couple times. I, I ran into her, like besides like doing the media things in, in New York last year when she, when she fought Aaron Blitz. I ran into her like in the hotel and different places a couple times. We chatted every single time. She's a she's a wicked cool person. Like even though she's just, you know she was the peak of her popularity, she still seems pretty like way down to earth. As a fighter, she's okay. Like. <laughs> You know, um, I I disagree with the betting line. Like, would you say negative three fifty or something like that? Uh, yeah, she's minus three fifty. Solyarenko plus two. Yeah, I don't think she's. There's not many people in the UFC that she should be that big of a favorite over. Uh, you know, I think the line should be much closer. Not much closer, but it should be closer. Well, I definitely think she should be the favorite. But uh, she's got good output. You, you know, she fights at a nice pace. Uh, she's better on the feet than I thought. She's she's pretty athletic. She's she appears to be getting a little faster. She can fight out of both stances. I've said it before. All her crazy moves, it's a little bit of like a, a Clay Guida thing going on, where it's difficult for her opponents to pick up her timing. Uh, you know, she darts in and out. She you know, in in fantasy, that spinning at attack is set up because of that darting in and out that's just hard to to pick up. It really is a threat. Now she likes to throw it out in the pocket. She used to be a brawler. Uh, you know, she got some power shots. She really sits on shots. I do agree that she's not the power punch they make her sound to be, but she, you know, she can crack a little bit. She's she's improved her defense. You know, against like Luana Carolina, like she she moved a little bit better, harder to hit. Talia Santos did destroy her with T kicks up the middle. Uh, not that that's Terry Larko's game. Uh, she will close the distance and use her strength to wear down our opponents in the clinch. I don't think she, she will do that against Storylenko. That's not what she wants to do. But she's pretty good in close quarters. She can wrestle a little bit, but she definitely isn't a wrestler. Um, you know, uh, she's a weak defensive wrestler. I mean, she was taken down by Laura Procopio like seven times, which is not a good look. Taken down by Talia Santos. Uh, both those fights have, you know, it's been a while since that. But Aaron Blanchard smoking the ground. But Aaron Blanchard smoking everybody on the ground. Yeah you know, recently. So that, that, that loss doesn't look too bad. Uh, but if you put her on the back, she really struggles to get back up. Uh, but to her credit, she's going to go hard all 15 minutes. And if Stoli Arnko, uh, you know, the, the weight cut affects her. I, I don't know if she's going to make weight. That's, I, I hope she does, but th that, that's just really surprising. She's going down a weight. Uh, she's a weak athlete. She's Stoli Arnko is a bit of a brute, a little flat footed. She does have good output. She has a very her herky jerky Keith Jardine style. 
where she wants to brawl, throw looping shots. He's just decent pop. Again, I don't know if that'll translate down in weight, but she does well to keep her base underneath her. She marches forward, lands shots. Uh, she didn't like the pressure. You know, she wants to move forward. She liked the pressure of Chelsea Chandler. Uh, fairness, Chelsea Chandler is a huge woman, much different. Like it's a much different fighter yeah. than than Molly McCann at this point. She drops her hands. She she's one of the ones she trusts her channel a little too much. She's one of the easiest shot to land one of her own. Um, some of that's because she lacks head movement. She will step in the pocket and throw down. Uh, her her kicks on the mat. She's got a pretty decent arsenal of kicks, uh, but mostly she likes to use pressure, uh, throw a Superman punch, something something to close distance, get to the clinch. Uh, where she'll grind inside. Um, I mean, she was successful against like Yana Kuniskaya, just grinding, get on the clinch. Uh, she does well to damage with knees and elbows in there. She will shoot for a takedown, but she's not great at it. Like, she'll keep shooting and diving in, and, get in, in, and she's good at getting herself stuck underneath and eating shots as she's diving desperately for takedowns. No, she is a uh, – yeah, I don't want to – I don't want to say strong grappler because, yeah, she is a bit of, you know, she plays BJ off her back. She tosses up the same submissions. She looks for, you know, armbar. Too, but to her credit, she's good at that. Armbar. She gets it from weird angles. Um, you know, she's she's willing to, to pull guard to get it down. Uh, she'll in Minari role. She's very, she's very Paul Craig if Paul Craig only went for armbars. Um, yeah. To her credit, if she's on top, she will pass guard, and then she looks for the armbar. She took Chelsea Chandler down. is much bigger than her. But she showed terrible fight IQ because she was in the mount and when she should have just been punching, she jumped for an armbar, ended up getting on bottom, and that you know that was the the difference of the fight that she started getting beat up. Uh, she normally has decent cardio, like she doesn't slow down. She can kind of go deeper in the fight. But again, I'm worried at 135 how that'll be. So as far as prediction goes, I love Molly McCann. Uh, you know she's fun. I'm I'm. I'm hoping to have that moment and the crowd going crazy, the bear going crazy. She does something spectacular. Um, but again, she shouldn't be this big a favorite. And I agree with you that she hasn't been submitted, you know, on the ground in a while. But in fantasy, if you go through her record, who she's faced, she hasn't really faced any ground specialist. She hasn't, you know, uh, she faced, uh, Hannah Goldie and she faced. I mean, I mean, I'm talking about the ones that she won. I'm not talking about the, the people she lost to. I'm talking about, you know, she beat uh, Hannah Goldie. She beat um, Delane as I'm pulling up her record. Uh, I think who's the um, Luana Carolina. Luana Car- yeah. Carolina. Um, Carolina's like a long and lengthier fighter. Um, Ji Young Kim. Starlenko's the best ground fighter. She's better than the girls that she's beaten recently. That's what, I, but that's what I'm saying on the ground. Mm-hmm. So, with that said, <gasps> I'm going with the upset. Oh, I'm going to say Starry Lanko gets it down. I'm, I'm going to say she does something crazy. I think she's going to hit that armbar. I want to say she armbars. I'm going to say Molly McCann is so tough. Molly McCann break her arm breaks, and Starry Lanko wins by a broken arm. We have someone in McCann that has already chosen. To nap rather than tap, like in front of that hometown crowd, I could see who. Well, I mean, that would be uh, twice in two years that the crowd gets real, real quiet. Uh, I always man, pick her. I, I always pick her. I love her. I always pick her. I love her. All right. Uh, and what round did you have? First round. Man, 
I cannot wait to see this fight because this is, I mean, about as differently as, as we've called a, a fight, but I'm the super, super square here. I'm the one picking the three and a half to one favorite. Uh, I haven't picked, I haven't one of those shows where I pick like nine upsets, but this is not up there, but this, I picked a lot. I had one where I picked like nine out of 12 yeah. or something, but you're at four and I'm at three, but right. I mean, right. none, I I none, okay. none bigger than that. But the cool thing is we've only agreed on one upset. All right. One or the other of us has picked like six upsets so far. <laughs> this is the card where they goes 15 for 15 favorites across the board. <laughs> we almost had that at uh, UFC Vegas 77 until the main yeah. event. It was straight chalk. Thanks, Holly Holm, for uh, ruining that for us. With that, we come to the main event of UFC Fight Night 224, a heavyweight matchup between the returning Tom Aspinall and perennial top 10 contender Marcin Tybura. Aspinall, the 30-year-old Manchester native, is 12-3 overall. He's 5-1 in the UFC. That 5-1, of course, represents him coming to the UFC as a standout from Cage Warriors, ripping through his first Five opponents barely breaking a sweat, even as he busted into the top 15 with first round finishes of people like Sergei Spivak and Alexander Volkov. All of that paved the way to a headlining clash with Curtis Blades last July, again, almost exactly a year ago, in a fight that had short term title implications uh, for the winner, especially if it was Aspinall as a fresh face in the division. That, of course, ended in disappointment for all involved when Aspinall suffered a severe non-contact knee injury just 15 seconds into the fight. Uh, he was on the canvas, writhing in pain. It was a rough look. It turned out to have been a pretty complete destruction of his knee. He had a torn medial collateral ligament, torn meniscus, partially torn anterior cruciate lig ligament, uh, required surgery, He's been uh, rehabbing for a full year, and he returns to the very arena where it took place a year ago. This time, instead of facing Blades, uh, he'll take just the slightest step down, but still very much a top 10 fixture in the form of Tybura. 37-year-old Pole is 24-7 and overall. He is 11-6 and in the UFC. He has won two in a row and seven of his last eight. But uh, since dropping a unanimous decision to Alexander Volkov back in October of 2021, he's uh, put up back-to-back -back decision wins over Alexander Romanov, which was last August, and Blagoy Ivanov this uh, February at UFC Fight Night Lewis versus Spivak. So Tybura looking to make it three straight, looking perhaps for the title shot that has eluded him low these many years. Aspinall looking to prove that he is as good as he ever was and is an immediate factor in the title picture himself. Uh, Aspinall very much favored to do so. Uh, if you recall, a year ago, Aspinall and Blades came into that uh, headliner as, uh, as a near pick -em. Here, Aspinall is the biggest favorite on the card. He is minus 450, Tybura plus 325. Uh, Keith, I'm going to say that the line here in favor of Aspinall, it reflects... I mean, obviously, it, it reflects what betters think of the relative skill level between the two, the relative athleticism between the two. It also reflects a vote of confidence that Aspinall is going to come back and be physically the same fighter or close to the same yeah. fighter that he was a year ago. Like, there are precious few people in the world that would be a four and a half to one favorite over Marcin Tybura. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, like Francis Ngannou might be it. 
and I don't uh, even John know if Jones. he would. John Jones. Okay, yeah, John Jones. The name, the name value, and everything. The the name value uh, would uh, and and Bo Nickel obviously. Well, Bo Nickel obviously, even if Nickel had to wear like leaded shorts to get over, you know, two hundred and five <laughs> pounds to, you know, you had to weigh in at two hundred seven to to yeah. Uh, with that with that hand speed. <laughs> yeah, with that hand speed, just the deadly deadly accuracy. Oh man. Uh, yeah. So there's there's a certain vote of confidence that yeah, Aspinall, we think he's that great, and we think he's going to be as good as ever. I love this fight as a test of of Aspinall's. It is it's very appropriate. It's not it's, insulting. Like yeah. Ti- uh, Tibera again, he's won seven of eight. He's been oh, a top he's good. ten. He's very good, and he's good in a way that is an appropriate test for Aspinall because Tybura is very well-rounded by the standards of heavyweight. He's a pretty good offensive and defensive wrestler. Uh, he, I would say his single-strike power is probably the only thing he has that's below average. Aside from that, he's a big-bodied guy. He's a good wrestler. Uh, he throws enough volume. He throws a pretty good variety of strikes. He throws in combination pretty well for a heavyweight. Uh, at 37, by heavyweight standards, he's probably right just dead in his physical prime. Uh, and he's proven that he has the gas tank to go at least 15 minutes, win or lose, uh, as since he's done so many, many times. Like, if if Aspinall is the guy he was, he has multiple avenues to victory against uh, Tybura, and it'll be interesting to see which one he follows. Uh, Aspinall, obviously, uh, he's a grappler first. I mean, his his dad was the jiu-jitsu instructor at Team Kaobon until he finally went and I believe he's gone and formed his own gym at this point. But, you know, Aspinall grew up in what was probably the best gym in England throughout those years. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's a prodigious grappler. And he's rare at heavyweight for at least pre-injury having elite athleticism to make it go. I, for a guy as big as he is, six foot five, 255 pounds, um, just to be as light on his feet as he is, as fluid as he is, is really rare. Like there's just not many people who move like that at that size. Like it's kind of surreal gone is, is the other one that comes to mind. And, Aspinall just appears to have a much better, uh, well, he obviously has a much better ground game and maybe a little more of a functional mean streak for for MMA. He's a good offensive uh, wrestler. You know, he's good at getting the fight to the ground when he wants to, how he wants to, in positions that favor him. Like he's run over decent fighters on the ground really quickly. And uh, he's a good striker as well. Uh, fast hands, good power. Uh, his Striking is probably helped a bit by the constant threat of the takedown. Here, I'm betting that Aspinall is good as he was before or close to it. And if that's the case, I mean, he's in a spot where he's probably just coming into his physical prime now. He probably, I mean, there's every chance he could have better power uh, than he did a year ago uh, because, you know, he's been off of training, but that's really just, he, you know, spent six or eight months where, you know, he couldn't maybe do as much leg work as he, as he wanted to, or the kind he wanted to. There's every chance he's stronger everywhere else. Uh, I think he probably 
hurts Tybura on the feet in the opening couple of uh, exchanges. I think he's going to be able to take Tybura down when he wants to. I think he'll just be able to shoot in, get on Tybura's hips, scoop him up and dump him down. And Aspinall's the kind of guy that's real good at dumping someone down and landing right in like a loose half guard that he advances immediately or just landing right inside control. Uh, and from there, Tybura is super tough. He's a very physically strong guy. He's good at surviving. But I think Aspinall takes him down in the first round probably chips away with ground and pound until Tybura either just covers up and gets pounded out or turns his back. And then it's going to be over pretty quickly from there. Uh, give me Aspinall by first round submission. O2 arena comes absolutely unglued. And uh, yeah, there's uh, something else for John Jones to think about. Yeah. The, the reason why I said that um, it's the appropriate matchup is it's a, quality test without being like oh my god this is the hardest fight like this like they didn't just run back oh curtis plays right you know the, the, the guy he got hurt against or or someone like that right it, it, but it's still it's not a squash match like they didn't throw in you know blagoy Ivanov or some some heavyweight you know all done you know dig up ben <laughs> rothwell somewhere or something so it, but you know, what you said about Tybora, like, you know, he's on a run. He's tough. He doesn't jump off the page. He's not the guy that people are going to be super excited. But he, he like, he, he's he's good. I mean, if that, if that's my point. If, you, if Aspinall beats him, Aspinall showed that he's back. Now, Aspinall, I, I'm going to read everything I said about last time heading into the Curtis Blades fight because nothing changed. The fight was 30 seconds long. The only thing changed is a major knee injury. And it's either he's either the same fighter or he's not, you know. Um or, is, you know, he might be 70% of the fighter is, and, you know, next fight he'll be 85, and the fight after that he's 100. Who, like, you know, who knows? Um, he's a big guy. He's like 6'5". He's long and lengthy. You know, uh, he, he's he's one of the most athletic guys in the division. It, you know, it's what I said stood out to me about Steven Miocic during his rise. He moves well. He's athletic. Uh, you, you know, he's quick. He's light on the feet. He moves, you know, well, again – all these are question marks because of because he's all about athleticism. Does that hold up with a knee injury? Uh, he can fight at both stances. He's well-rounded, very quick tw twitch boxer, accurate strikes, power in both hands, mixing takedowns really well with the striking, uh, some super slick grappling. I mean, he beat the brakes off against Sergey Spivak with ground and pound, which, by the way, like how well has that win aged? You know, he, he quickly subbed Andre Olaski, quickly subbed. Alexander Volkov, another fight that has aged pretty well. Um, so he's super good. You know, we're talking about well-rounded heavyweights. Him, John Jones. So like, who, like, you know what I mean? I'm saying we're like, yeah. like, what is he better? Is he a better striker or is he a better grappler? I don't know. Like, that's my, that's my yeah. like. Oh, you, here, I just want to throw out a quick uh, stat about uh, wins aging well. So before the Blades fight, Aspinall beat Volkov. Volkov hasn't lost since. Spivak hasn't it's lost since. And he beat him quick. Yeah, he beat him quick. He thrashed Andre Arlovsky. Arlovsky won four straight after that. Like, <laughs> all of his wins have aged well. Yeah. 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 The, the, yeah. <laughs> that's a yeah. good point. Uh, Tybar, I mean, he is what he is at this point. He's, he's a well-rounded fighter. He's got some high output on the feet, decent hand speed. You, you know, just marches forward. He loves using that front kick to kind of bully his opponent back to the cage. Uh, he uses a lot of the striking to close the distance. He wants to force a grindy fight, pressuring his opponent back, getting them to fight off their back foot, 
Uh, he'll close the distance and grind in the fence, uh, you know, get it on the hook, just musty grueling, likes to wear, likes to lean on his opponent. Uh, he'll drop down, you know, like in a single or drop down on a dumble and, and get the fight to the ground. Uh, a guy that's willing to catch a fight. He's a BJJ black belt, strong top control. Guy knows he controls weight well. He's got six submission wins. So this is actually one of the fights that, it's, it, to me, it's quicker to really talk about this because, to me, it, it's it's one of the easiest fights on the card to pick. Uh, obviously, based based on the betting lines, would tell you that. But also, it comes down to if Asmol is the same guy he was before the injury, and and we don't we can't answer that question until we see it. But if he is, in, I meant that by saying all nice things about Tybar. Tybar is a great heavyweight, but he's the, I don't know, seventh best heavyweight, eighth best heavyweight, whatever, whatever, wherever he is in the rankings, and that's what he is. Yeah, Asmol could be number one. Like he has that ability. I'm not saying he, I'm not picking him to beat John Jones or whatever, but I'm just saying he, 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 he's in that category of that he, you know, he's that good. Yes. He's, he's a guy that I think I even asked you this, uh, but it's not just future contender, but like we both thought he's probably a future champ. Like, yeah. So, so, not, so not sure when, but considering how young he was and how good he was, at some point he's going to wear a belt. Yeah. It's guys, when you, when you look at guys, Throughout, you know, when they first debut in the UFC till now, you know, you know, you you say guys go over the champions who's ever been champion UFC and you put them in the category like, did you expect this or or it was it a possibility or not? And he's those. I mean, the George St. Pierre. As soon as you see George St. Pierre, I guess debut against Carpreys, you're like, whoa, 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 wow, look at look at this performance. He was yeah. always like, you know, future champ. John Jones, um, Kamar Usman. Israel Asanya, and the list goes on and on and on. But then you had those guys that are surprised, and I'm not talking about that huge Matt Sarah upset lands one punch like kind of lucky no, shot kind of. You're thing. talking about I'm, Charles Oliveira or Charles, the version. Well, of- Charles Oliveira was that guy when he first came in. Yeah. You'd be like, yeah, he's in that. Oh yeah, he could be a champion. Yeah. And then it's like, no, you totally could give up on him. And then, but I'm talking about the the overachiever, the. Well, Jamal Jamal Hill's a guy that right in that category that like, could be a champion. Look at look at the just raw ability. But but um, now, now I'm trying to think of someone who who Jan Blachowicz maybe a guy that yeah he's got ability but you, know, you didn't expect him to be yeah. a champion one or, day. Or by the time he got to the UFC, Glover Teixeira, where he was already like 31 or 32, especially late when he ran yeah. that before he goes on that run. You're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. it's not a possibility that he'd be a champion. Yeah. You know, um, so those those are the you know, Tybor is in that category. Yeah. Well, if he ever wins the title, like wow, that's a big surprise. Like, is it a, is it a, in the realm of possibility? Yeah, it's in the realm of possibility, but like five percent. Asmol is at like forty yep. percent. You know, he's in that other category. Like it's very good chance. I mean, he's he's a better athlete. He's faster. He hits harder. He's more a submission threat. Uh, I think he lands some hard shots on the feet. I think he's. You know, I think Tybora might try to get the fight to the ground. I think Asmol wins the scrambles. I think he gets on top. I think he round pounds, dominates on the ground. Uh, I think he batters them. I think Tybora is tough, so he makes it further than guys like Volkov and Spivak did. But I say he gets ground and pound, eventually gives up his back or something. Aspinall locks into submission. I say Aspinall wins by third round submission. All right, so that is two picks for Tom Aspinall to announce his return with a submission win. The only difference is when we think he'll get it done. And then, oh, there'll be plenty to talk about after that, won't there? 
That is the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 224, Aspinall versus Tybura, also known as UFC London. I've been your host, Ben Duffy. He has been, of course, Keith Schillen. If this is your first time listening to one of our previews, first of all, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we do our best to bring a blend of serious, in-depth analysis of these fights, along with the occasional historical aside or punchline. This was a pretty straightforward episode just because we had 15 fights to cover. Uh, but please do like, subscribe, uh, give us a comment. Keith and I both man the comment section. We'd love to hear your take on these fights. If you think we're way off base on any of these picks, uh, collectively, we've picked a lot of upsets on this card. So we might be uh, let us know, because if you're right, we will definitely give you your props uh, when when we find out. But most of all, join us on the recap. Keith and I will be live on the SureDog YouTube page, usually about 15 minutes after the main event. Keith takes the captain's chair. We'll talk about all 15 of these fights in reverse order, starting from that heavyweight headliner all the way down to the uh, card opener. We'll talk about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. There's always something... We will talk about what's next for some of the notable winners as well as losers. And we'll be talking with you because the live uh, chat is open that entire time. So we are taking your questions, your comments, and your hot takes in real time. We have a growing group of friends that hang out with us after the fights, and we would love for you to be part of it. Between now and then, oh, real quick, remember that this is an early card if you live in North America. Uh, I'd have to look, but I think the prelims start at like noon Eastern time. So get up early, get your full English breakfast. Uh, but yeah, uh, between now and then, don't miss the prelims because you slept in. Enjoy the rest of your week. By all means, enjoy these fights. <laughs>